This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 28th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear if you make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still cranking out all the big, big savings down at MyPillow. Right now, they've launched the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STEAK, you're going to get... Buy one, get one free. In addition, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code STEAK here. You're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, waiting for him to get his, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome. Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 217. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Alan Jacoby's joining us to do a little guest hosting duties as well today. Guys, we've got a great show. Lots of breaking news. The one year anniversary of the Ukraine war. All of our Congress people are doing stuff to not benefit you. Joe Biden's doing his thing again. And we've got some great guests coming in here. The Attorney General of Montana, Austin Knutson, will be here. The Raw League Nationalists. And Rasmussen polling. Mark Mitchell will be here as well. Before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. Joe Savannah, good morning. The World Health Organization team has spent the past few weeks looking at data, doing field work in Wuhan. They came up with four possible explanations for how the coronavirus might have spilled over to humans. And of those possibilities, there's only one theory that they're willing to rule out. They say it's extremely unlikely the virus leaked from a lab. The lack of any clear path to humans had long stirred speculation. The virus could have leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In coming here, the World Health Organization has said all hypotheses are on the table. The WHO team visited the lab, but now says it has ruled out a lab accident or leak as a possible driver for the pandemic. You say the public 
can trust the scientists, but they can't trust President Trump. In fact, you said that again tonight. Your running mate, Senator Harris, goes further, saying the public health experts, quote, will be muzzled, will be suppressed. Given the fact that polls already show that people are concerned about the vaccine and are reluctant to take it, are you and your running mate, Senator Harris, contributing to that fear? No more than the question you just asked him. You pointed out he puts pressure and disagrees with his own scientists. But you're saying Everybody you can't, or Senator and Harris is saying no, you can't trust the scientists. No, well, no, no, you can't trust the scientists. He didn't, she didn't say that. You can't she, trust She the, said the public health experts, quote, will be muzzled, will yes. be suppressed. Well, that's what he's going to try to do. But there's millions of scientists, there's thousands of scientists out there, like here at this great hospital, that don't work for him. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course, of course. Our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. So if you're going home to somebody who has not been vaccinated, to somebody who can't get vaccinated, somebody who might be immunosuppressed or a little bit uh, frail, somebody who has um, uh, comorbidities that put them at high risk, I would suggest you wear a mask in public indoor setting. And the mask issue is interesting because Fauci said masks are bad and now he's a radical masker. Now he wants you to wear 15 different masks at one time. I don't know. He also told me he was a great athlete. Then I saw him throw out a pitch at the baseball. People forget that. But if you go back then, even though you lean towards feeling that this is more likely a natural occurrence, we always felt that you've got to keep an open mind. All of us. We didn't get up and start announcing it, but we've always said keep an open mind and continue to look. So I think it's a bit of a distortion to say that we deliberately suppress that. On the WHO team for a reason. And, and, you know, if you're going to work in China, on coronaviruses and try and understand their origins, you should involve the people who know the most about that. And for better or for worse, I do. He says the team did look into the leak theory during a visit with lab scientists and deemed it extremely unlikely. We met with them, we said, do you audit the lab? And they said, annually? Did you audit it after the outbreak? Yes, was anything found? No. Do you test your staff? Yes. No but you're one was... just taking their word for it. Well, what else can we do? There's a limit to what you can do, and we went right up to that limit. I need the facts from you. Will you provide to this committee any scientific analysis that the FBI has done regarding Dr. Yan's claims, regarding the messages she provided to you regarding Beijing's knowledge of the origins of this virus, their military's involvement, and even efforts to try to present to the world a fake genome sequence at the beginning of, of these developments. I'm, I'm happy to see what information we can provide. I will have my staff follow up with yours and see what information we can share. 
Right, but I guess it just follows this track with the early days downplaying or trying to discredit the lab leak theory from Wuhan. Uh, why, why spend the time doing that when we're talking about observation, description, experimentation, and explanation? I mean, now it seems like the lab leak is a real possibility. Well, Brad, I'm really sorry that the lab leak has become such a distraction for so many people, because frankly, we still don't know. There is no evidence really to say most of the scientific community, myself included, think that is a possibility, but far more likely this was a natural way in which a virus left a bat, maybe traveled through some other species and got to humans, and there was no lab leak involved. We won't know unless China decides to open up about this, which they have not done, and yeah. shame on them for that. Dr. But Gons- this has been a huge distraction. Two years in the Democrat majority, they never had one hearing on the origins of COVID. We promised it in the commitment to America. We have the select committee on COVID. And what's coming forward now is a lot of the information that they know we're going to get. They know that we're moving forward. We promised to look after what happened in Afghanistan. Why did we have 13 new gold star families? We look, why do we have an attorney general going after parents simply because they want to go to a school board meeting? All of this is going to come truthful. And there's a pattern of behavior here. Denying the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Denying about COVID. Well, that were some of the sounds that have engulfed the media narrative throughout the weekend. And uh, starting off the week here. And this is Steak for Breakfast. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're new to the show, welcome. Guys, don't forget, most importantly, and we don't hype on it enough on this show, Subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Samsung, wherever you listen. Hit the subscribe button. you got to share the episodes. We're bringing you guys top-tier guests, some of the best news commentary in the business, etc. And uh, follow us across all social medias. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Getter, True Social. Just type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. You'll find us, and uh, you'll thank me later. Noah's out of the office for a bit. He will be joining us towards the back end of the show, but... Uh, Filling in is the very handsome and, and velvety-voiced Alan Jacoby, host of the Great Divide podcast and CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company. Alan, thanks for coming and jumping in on the show with us today. Always a pleasure to guest host on my favorite podcast, Steak for Breakfast. Oh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> so as you just heard, that, that was kind of a, a long montage because, you know, literally we have to go back through years of reviewing the videotape of the narrative. After the... Uh, U.S. Energy Department this weekend released a statement saying that they're not all confident, but fairly certain that the coronavirus leaked from a uh, Wuhan lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. has been reported on the show essentially since day one. I mean, Matt Gates has been on the show. Peter Navarro has been on the show a bunch of times. Uh, you know, we've had a large slate of doctors that we've brought our listenership. Dr. Zelenko, rest in peace. Obviously, Dr. Malone, Peter McCall was on the show Last week, he'll be coming back towards the end of uh, March, much to the pleasure of our listenership. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of uh, funny how now that, you know, the Republicans have seized control of the House, some of the things that Democrats and the press, the uh, media industrial complex kind of held tight to the breast throughout the pandemic is starting to uh, slip out of their grasp. What did you think here in that uh, it was confirmed all but essentially that the coronavirus was manufactured in, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and then probably accidentally leaked. Uh, a contamination got out into the public and 
you know, that's probably that's that's almost likely what led to such the harsh lockdowns in China too, trying to keep that, uh, you know, not allowing us to have any access to the lab where the accident might have happened, uh, patient zero or the group that was first exposed and things of that nature. But what, what, what did you see? Is it just confirmation for you, Alan, as it is probably for a lot of our listenership, or is it good for it finally being able to get out into the public and seeing all of those, uh, you know, liberal heads explode? Well, one, it's great to see liberal heads explode, but we have to look at this first. I'm surprised this came from the U.S. Energy Department. Agreed. Maybe I'm just missing something there. Agreed. And it's not coming from other government organizations. But now, you know, if, uh, just as the last 24 hours, the mainstream media is already calling it, you know, the Energy Department is assessing with low confidence yep. that the COVID may, may have originated from Chinese lab leak. I mean, you see the mainstream media already spinning this narrative that this is like a maybe you could call a minority report because the consensus of most of the other agencies, intelligence agencies and others in our government that lie to us anyway, that that might not or is not the case. I mean, the White House, it says, says that there's no consensus on the COVID origin. Now, they call us conspiracy theorists for the past few years who have said, is was this actually an accident, Roan? Or was this a bioweapon, which there are some well-respected Chinese doctors who have worked in labs like this. I believe one, I forget her name, was just on Tucker Carlson the other night. You might have caught her saying that, you know, this was a bioweapon that was made to, uh, in fact, uh, kill millions of people for, you know, what, whatever their nefarious reasons are. It's it's just, it's wild. I don't know quite how I feel about it yet. I, be, we, we were right. Donald Trump was right. Many people were right. We knew this just didn't appear out of nowhere. This was, you know, messing with science. It leaked, you know, it, it didn't come from a bat at a wet market. I myself believe that this was an engineered uh, bioweapon per se, and it might have been an accidental leak, but I, I don't know. I'm confident, like I've said from the beginning, that it came out of a China lab. And then, you know, you have gain of function and all this nonsense that they're messing with. <sighs> Uh, is this going to be a story for much longer? Probably not. This might, you know, another distraction from something else. Sure. But maybe, you know, why is the U S energy department putting out this report? You know, it, it's your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I don't know if, uh, Maybe there was some whistleblowers internally who had been talking to House Republicans or some of the people in the Senate who have kind of led this charge. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, like Ron Johnson, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. And uh, maybe instead of just saying, like, we've got another whistleblower, let's start another committee. They said, you know what, why don't you go back to your own agency and see if through the appropriate channels you can get this message out officially and then we we can do what we can now to to kind of uh look to begin investigative processes which might lead to oversight right and you know i think if there are whistleblowers out there hopefully they will come forward and house republicans like you said will, will hold um the right hearings and then of course the question comes well how do we hold China accountable? Is Dr. Fauci complicit in this? How would he be held accountable? I truly believe there's going to be no accountability for any of this. And this is going to be the never ending story of, you know, where COVID originated from. And I, uh, I think the biggest uh, thing that that maybe some people are missing here, 
do we have the right pieces in place to hold China accountable? And what does that accountability look like? Does it look like pandemic reparations, which is should be a real thing for all the people that wound up dying, uh, either because of the malpractice or mispractice that went on within the medical community? And then th- is there a trickle-down effect to that community of, of all the doctors and stuff who tried to cancel, uh, you know, legitimate physicians like uh, a, a Peter McCullough? And then, you know, taxes, tariffs, uh, removing, you know, officials from the CCP out of the United States, delegates, ambassadors, et cetera. And it just kind of, you know, right now, I don't feel like we have the people in leadership who have the ability to do that. Do we have the opportunity to maybe look for something that goes down that path in, in 2024 with the presidential elections? Well, we already know Donald Trump did a a pretty decent job of holding China accountable. Obviously he didn't get to the, you know, like the nth degree of what he wanted to do, but things were going in the right direction. And do we also look at it from a way, was this China's response? Like maybe COVID-19 or whatever, you know, China was working on in the lab wasn't supposed to leak at that time, but they were feeling such a squeeze from Donald Trump and, and some of the, uh, trade angles that the United States was coming, you know, off the backs of uh, policies that were driven by Peter Navarro and Stephen Miller and stuff like that. Um, is this is how China said, you know, we got to, we need a reset button like Hillary Clinton brought to Russia right now. And I think we're, we can do it. No one knew how the world was going to react. I mean, quite honestly, you could have looked at this from two different directions. This could have leaked out back in, in 2019 and the world could have just said like, okay, this is a super flu. We got to like drink soup uh, be careful about washing our hands and, and life just could have went on. But, you know, obviously we've known and done so much coverage on, on some of the bigger schemes that are going on with the WEF over at Davos and, uh, you know, the, uh, biopharmaceutical industrial complex and how they have wanted and have collaborated with the federal government for over a decade on how, you know, they were waiting for the next big air quoting here, pandemic <laughs> to, see if they could treat it and basically beat it with mRNA technology. And that's something that's been confirmed on, on so many different levels. You know, how, how the government worked with DARPA and the CIA and the FBI to kind of see, like, if we're ever attacked from a medical standpoint, a viral standpoint, something like that, do we have the ability to combat it? And obviously we took the, the worst pass possible, imaginable, uh, when you look at things like the energy sector, the economy, jobs, how it's negatively affected the children start to finish. Uh, there are irreparable damages across this country. Uh, and I'm extremely serious when I say irreparable, uh, every single day when my kids come home from school, a little piece of my heart dies more to see what they aren't doing or how quickly they forgot that these kids essentially missed like a year and a half of actual school. And then the jerking around they did when the kids went back, if someone like farts in the classroom, everybody gets sent home for a week. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where moving forward, there, there's going to be a lot of stuff we need to work on in regards to ourselves before we could probably start holding China accountable. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, I did pull some clips from over the weekend because, of course, a lot of people within the regime went out to uh, run disinfo campaigns. First of one, I got a man that knows his scandals, Jake Sullivan, uh, who's working with the uh, National Intelligence Apparatus. Jumped on CNN State of the Fake Union to, uh, you know, show us how good he was at Russiagate. This time, just replace the word with the pandemic. Let's hear him. I want to ask about a new Wall Street Journal report out this morning that a classified intelligence report from the Department of Energy concludes that the coronavirus pandemic 
most likely did not emerge naturally, but it did come from a laboratory leak. Did the coronavirus pandemic start in a lab? Is that what you believe now? Well, Dana, there is a variety of views in the intelligence community. Some oh. elements of the intelligence community have reached conclusions on one side, some oh. on the other. Oh. A number of them have said they just don't have enough information to oh. be sure. Here's what I can tell you. President Biden has directed repeatedly uh, every element of our intelligence community to put effort and resources behind getting to the bottom of this question. Oh. And one of the things in that Wall Street Journal report, uh, which I can't confirm or deny, but I will say the reference to the Department of Energy, President Biden specifically requested that the national labs, which are part of the Department of Energy, be brought into this assessment because he wants to put every tool at use uh, to be able to figure out what happened here. And if we gain any further insider information, we will share it with Congress oh. and we will share it with the American people. Oh. But right now, there is not a definitive answer that has emerged from the intelligence community on this. Mm-hmm. How much, how much of the government really just doesn't want anyone to know the origin of COVID? Well, I, I mean, mean, what would you say the percentage might be wrong? of the federal government when you talk yeah. about all the special interests and lobby uh, groups that are involved in stuff like that? How how many of our our congressmen and women are tied to big pharma mm -hmm. and, and things of that nature? I would say north of seventy percent, and that's a low low ball number for me. I, I just I'm just thinking off the bat. You know, even people who just dabble in with like, uh, you know, the, their stock portfolio handlers are just kind of like casting reels out into the biopharmaceutical industrial complex stock market. And, uh, you know, not the casual gamblers, not not the ones who who go and buy 500, 5,000, 10,000 shares of uh, stuff like that. You know, it, it's 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 very funny. And, and if you listen to the actual points that he was hitting in between all of that noise he was barfing because that was like almost a minute and a half of just word salad. It sounds yeah. like the Biden regime wants to come down on the people who got this out to the public. And when they say they want to hold people accountable, it's the people that leaked it and created this, this new angle of a narrative, which kind of confirms where the virus came from and not get to the bottom of whether or not China did it, how they did it, when they released it and how they covered it up, which is the actual, uh, you know, part of the story. So I saw White House press pool yesterday. Haven't had KJP on in a while. Of course, Jackie Heinrich was uh, ready to hammer her with some questions regarding this. This took up a, a, a very large portion of the uh, White House press pool yesterday. He actually had to have John Kirby come in and do damage control, and we'll hear from him in a second. But uh, let's hear Jackie Heinrich and uh, KGP's back and forth. There was not so long ago a point where anyone asking the question of whether a lab leak was a credible theory that should be looked into you know a lot of those people were derided as as fringe you know conspiracy theorists so are there lessons learned you know looking back about how we discuss um theories when we don't have all of the answers so what here's what i can tell you is oh. the president's commitment to getting to the bottom of this oh. right that is what's the most important so that we can you know, we can share this with Congress, we can share this with the American people. That is why he asked the IC uh, to do its work. Oh. And right now, there is no consensus. Oh. There is no consensus. You heard this from Jake Sullivan yesterday. You heard this from my colleague just moments ago. And we're going to do everything that we can. The president is asking his team to do everything that they can uh, to figure out where it originated because oh. of what could potentially happen next, because of the potential of having another pandemic. And I think that's what's most important. Yeah, that's what's most important. <laughs> 
Four okay. word salad. I mean, you know, I was sitting here thinking about it. Like, all right, it's proven that it leaked out of a lab from China, and we're going to have all of this nonsense political theater about how we may hold China accountable. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I don't know. It, I almost feel more importantly, how do we hold our government, local, state, and federal? governments accountable for the way they treated American citizens and forced us into so many different things, whether it be uh, vaccine mandates, you can't go here, you can't go there, your kids can't go to school, you can't work, you can't go to restaurants, you can't, uh, every institution is closed. I mean, you, you can't go to church and your kids can't go to school will always be the best compared with you can go buy alcohol at the corner market and go to any weed dispensary because they didn't close. Not only that, Ron, but it, it's just amazing how our society normalized this where exactly yep. what you said, you can't go to church. The liquor stores are open. I can sit on my couch and get any fast food delivered that I want. Big box stores are open. Mom and top mom and pops were closed and some forced to shut down. Many were forced to shut down. And so they want you to sit home, do nothing, develop drug and alcohol problems, become obese and be dependent on the federal government for health care and, and, and education and everything else. Like it, it's, I forget what that movie was, an animated movie where they made everybody get really, really fat and they were all zooming around in the future on chairs. Oh, Wally. Oh, Wally. There yeah. you go, Wally. That's right. It, it, I was thinking about it the other day. It's like that, that's it just, that's what I feel like they wanted. They want us fat, weak, and unhealthy so that those of us that deem ourselves patriots and freedom lovers bow to our knees because we're forced into that submission and saying, oh, govern me harder, daddy. What yeah. do you need me to do? I mean, look what they're doing now with, you know, so-called vaccine tracking. With, yep. When you go to a doctor or a hospital and they're asking if you're vaccinated and you say yes, they have an insurance code now that they put in. So why are they tracking people who are unvaccinated? What, so they can uncover them? Various insurance companies take away the coverage and force you, well, you, you can't do this and you can't do that because you're not jabbed. Like, is this their last ditch effort into cornering the unvaccinated and forcing them into submission? It's just, it, it's like all ties into each other. And I, and as much as I despise the CCP and what they've done and what we know, I, I doubly despise what our American government allowed ha to happen. And what they did to the American people. Yeah, no, it's a, those are some excellent points. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned freedom loving patriots and stuff like that. It goes a little bit outside of that scope, too, I think. Just people that wanted to just live their lives, ones that kind of go under the radar. They're, they're, they're more inclined to not follow politics, not really get involved with anything. They just kind of say, like, you know, I get up in the morning, put on my pants like everybody else, go to work, come home, repeat the next day, and I'm completely fine with that. But, uh, you know, it, it changed the entire way that the country thinks about everything. I, every day when I go out and I still see people in their cars with masks. Uh, I, I was actually at the grocery store with my, my kids like two weeks ago. And, you know, my uh, daughter sends me a text message. She's standing behind me in line at the checkout. Uh, of course, we waited in the physical checkout line because we're not assimilating to that, you know, uh, computerized checkout that they have now. And I've got $400 worth of groceries in my cart. And I open up my phone and I look and it's a picture of like an elderly lady with uh, dishwasher washing gloves up to her elbows, two masks 
a, a helmet and a face shield. And she's like, daddy, is this the final boss of COVID? And I was like, <laughs> I, I turn around and look at her and she's just like making like a silly face. And I look over her shoulders and, and lo and behold, there's a lady standing in line, like probably completely terrified of everything now because of, of what happened. And, uh, it's a reality and, and and one that eventually we hope that there's some accountability for. I don't necessarily think we're going to get to the accountability levels that a lot of people want or speculate is deserved, should be well-placed, but that's that's yet to be seen. I did tease John Kirby. Uh, he, he was there with KJP yesterday and dishing up just another heap and helping of word salad. Let's hear him. On the um, Department of Energy's findings, the lab leak most likely caused the pandemic. How should Americans respond? How should Americans understand China's response here, um, saying that this is politically motivated? It's a lie. There's no science to back it, and swatting down this information. Well, I can't speak for the Chinese, and I wouldn't uh, endeavor to, to do that. Oh. Um, but just let me back up a little bit. The president made. Uh, trying to find the origins of code a priority oh. right when he came into office oh, and he's got a whole of government effort oh. designed to do that oh. uh, there is not a consensus right now in the US government about exactly how covid started oh. uh, there's oh, just not marching orders. community consensus yeah. and i would add that one of the things the president did was he he's the one who tasked the national labs which were put up through the department of energy to study this as well so it wasn't just an effort that was confined to the intelligence community. Oh. That work is still ongoing. But the president ongoing. believes it's really important no. that we continue that work and that we find out as best we can how it started so that we can better prevent a future pandemic. I mean, it's in, it, that's the, the idea here is to get ahead of it so that, you know, should there be another one or oh. should there even be the signs of another one, we can... This will be the status will be that it is a continuing effort, a continuing effort, and it will continue all the way to, uh, you know, when we get into the nitty gritty of reelection, that this is what we're working on because nothing will get accomplished because they're not doing anything because they don't want to know or at least. Well, I shouldn't say that they don't want us to know and confirmed by our government and what the true origin is. Exactly. They don't want any of that. No, I agree. And uh, one of the biggest tells that he he gave there was that, you know, this has been disseminated amongst the uh, national security uh, portions of the government to to firmly want to get to the bottom of this. And, uh, you, you know, when you've seen all the stuff that's come out, uh, collaborative efforts between, like, you know, the DNI, DHS, the FBI, the CIA, just about everywhere, the CDC, the NIH, all to work with big tech and social medias. I mean, regime talking points, state-run media talking points. That's all you're going to be getting on these guys and, and who hit it as we're getting ready to, uh, you know, uh, wrap our cold open right now is uh, Tucker Carlson last night pointed out one of the things, it, and, and it was just one sentence that Kirby dropped within all the garbage that came out trying to push back on this over the weekend, talking about, you know, um, how the intelligence agencies might have played a bigger role than anyone outside of the listenership of Steak for Breakfast and, and shows likewise uh, played in the pandemic. Let's hear him. What? And then a woman called Laura Helmuth, the diversity hire now running the once but no longer respected publication Scientific American, said, quote, it's a conspiracy theory to believe a lab leak had occurred. But it did. That's the thing. Facts still matter. Every facet Every element, every link in the chain that connects every part of elite America to itself pushed the same lies. Even the, the quote, comedians, they were on propaganda duty, too. Watch this. 
He's also pushing U.S. intelligence to find evidence for this theory that the virus was accidentally released from a lab in Wuhan. That's his new angle to feed the wingnuts, uh, to treat this virus like it was a conspiracy of some kind. It should have never happened. This plague should never have happened. It could have been stopped. But people chose not to stop it. <laughs> what people? Tomorrow he'll blame the Spanish flu on Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Imagine if you're a comedian and all of a sudden your cue card has all kinds of talking points from politicians and foreign governments on it. Don't mm. read it. You degrade yourself and you become complicit in the greatest crime in history. So you have to ask, what role did the U.S. intelligence agencies play in all of this? Of course. And that's the thing, Alan, as we kind of allude to it here. Were they feeding elements of the media? even into the entertainment segment or entertainment sector, because we just talked about that. It's not just the Patriots who wanted their freedom. It's the people who maybe don't follow politics. that just want to live their lives and not be bothered and aren't going to be watching Fox news, CNN, MSNBC, the Sunday morning talk show circuit. Those people who just, uh, you know, kind of watch sitcoms and then jump right into, uh, you know, Bill Maher or Jimmy Kimmel or somebody like that was the FBI was the CIA, the CDC, the NIH, big government pushing these talking points on these people saying, I mean, how many videos did we see of these jerk offs dressed up like needles running around doing vaccine commercials and stuff on their shows? Absolutely. Something that needs to be looked at as well. And, uh, you know, for as much as we want to stop talking about COVID, uh, looks like we're going to be talking about it. I mean, look at it this way for all of the COVID-19 notifications we get on our Spotify show where everyone should be subscribing to there or wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us across all social medias as well. Um, we really did earn our COVID-19 information badge for this episode of steak for breakfast. And, um, (laughs) believe it or not, we've got a great rest of the show lined up. We've got some great guests coming in. We're going to be sitting down with Mark Mitchell here in just a second of Rasmussen polling. In addition to that, the Raw Egg Nationalist is going to be here to talk about two of his latest articles and uh, a surprise guest, Austin Knudsen, the uh, Attorney General of Montana's. Got a lot to talk about, looking to ban TikTok statewide. He wants to talk a little bit about Chinese spy balloons. We might even be maybe hinting at a little bit of a Senate run here in 2024. Uh, In addition to that, we're going to be covering the Ukraine war, one-year anniversary of our next forever war, and and we'll do a little bit of a Capitol Hill roundup. Noah's going to be jumping in a little bit later. Uh, But before we jump in with Rasmussen polling, let's hear from one of our sponsors. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, jumping in here first today. On the show, we have the head pollster from Rasmussen Reports. He's making a steak for breakfast debut. Mark Mitchell, thanks for joining us. Pleasure's all mine. This is neat. Yeah. Love you guys' show. Well, we appreciate that. We're, we're doing the best we can. We've been tracking you guys, obviously, for a long time. We do a lot of referencing on the show in regards to some of the numbers that come out. And uh, how's everything going with you? It seems like it's kind of a busy time following the 2022 midterms and getting ready to uh, ramp up into the 2024 presidential election season. Well, I thought we'd be talking a lot more about candidates right now, but for the last week, it's been about race relations in America. 
Uh, we caused a little bit of a firestorm, but really happy to talk politics. <laughs> Be a nice change. Well, uh, let's just not leave our, our audience hanging. Why don't you just allude into that a little bit? I mean, we did see, listen, there's a lot of virtue signaling going around now with the uh, It's Black History Month. And then, you know, obviously uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that this administration uh, kind of wears as a badge of honor. And, uh, you know, something that's kind of pushed on the American people 24-7, whether it's like uh, subconsciously through like commercialing all the way up through like, uh, you know, state-run media and the way they speak down to the American public. So what, what was kind of the uh, flashpoint? there that 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 got this whole thing rolling well right now rasmussen reports is being accused of race baiting um your viewers might not know this but we've been in business pretty much about 20 years now yeah. and we poll almost daily and our motto is if it's in the news uh it's in our polls and so if we hear a topic that's divisive or if we think the mainstream media is gaslighting people we're absolutely going to ask the question and we're one of the few pollsters that have done that we've broached topics of not just racism we've to touch the died suddenly stuff, the vaccine stuff, uh, election fraud, and we were polling or the earliest people polling on Hunter Biden. Yep. But in this particular case, um, you know, we asked a question about whether U.S. people agree or disagree that it's okay to be white, <laughs> and that led to that. that they overwhelmingly do. By the way, uh, almost three quarters of Americans think it's okay to be white, and only twelve percent disagree. Uh, and a majority of black Americans, 53% agree. And that led to um, some commentary by Scott Adams that led to him being canceled from pretty much every newspaper in America. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people are coming after the poll, and our methodology sound. We've been predicting elections pretty good job for the last 20 years, and it's the same methodology with which we predicted Biden was going to win 2020 popular vote. And it's the same election where we were two points off from the generic ballot. So I, it is what it is. But if people want to attack the poll, uh, my takeaway is look at the other pollsters who aren't asking this question. We disclosed our methodology. We disclosed the questions. They could just run this themselves and prove us wrong. And I don't think they're going to. So if, if your listeners want to get into the details, uh, we have a YouTube channel we started a few months ago. I have a video up today that really gets into the, the mechanics of the poll and why it's, it's valid and why we stand by it. Um, but yeah, the last couple of days, Washington Post, Newsweek, a couple other people all of a sudden really interested in Rasmussen polling. Oh, all of the people that are uh, NewsGuard appreciators, I'm sure. So I, I, actually, I actually, it's not directly related, but I, I was talking with uh, a couple friends about it yesterday about a recent fact check that I got on. We all know that recently Joe Biden uh, appropriated more money to the conflict in Ukraine, um, mm -hmm. and some of that money was being appropriated to, you know, pay the salaries of people who work within the Ukrainian government, which... Depends on how you look at it. Could be a good thing. Could be a bad thing. I don't really think it's a great thing. That's not where our tax dollars should be going. But it's it's neither here nor there. So I shared the article on one of my social medias on Instagram, and about a week later, I, I got a fact check, and and the NewsGuard fact check actually said, uh, even though everything, the context, the picture, the screenshot of the article, which was from a major publication, was all true, the fact check was this is being taken down for false information because it's no longer breaking news. And <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the goal. And the lucky thing is, is that we're never in that position because we create all the facts ourselves. I'm go. asking people questions and reporting on the results. And I will be very transparent with our methodology and how we do it. And they, it's as easy as them running their own poll. And the Ukraine one's interesting, too. Last uh, two months ago is the first time 
that a plurality of Americans said now that for the first time, sorry, likely voters said for the first time that we're actually doing too much more than not enough. So Americans are starting to wake wake up. It's a tough one, though, because people see what's happening in Ukraine. They feel for it. Uh, You know, uh, Russia has been a boogeyman for a very long time. And they want this conflict over and they want to see, um, you know, peace restored. But it, 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 the, the cost is definitely starting to add up and affect people. Yeah, the way it negatively affects the economy as well. And we're going to be talking about the one year anniversary of the conflict in Ukraine in our next segment. So that's a good tie in there. But I do want to jump into some of the ones we want to cover with you today, Mark. So first of all, early polling on Trump versus DeSantis. I've seen uh, both ends of the spectrum. DeSantis up by a lot. Trump up by a lot. Uh, some polls are showing it uh, relatively close. I mean, Donald Trump's, of course, sharing a lot of the polls that where he's up by 25, 30 points, which is fine. I mean, that's what a, a candidate... And and, and the, you know, technically the leader of the party moving into the general election as someone who was the last Republican president uh, should be doing. But the fact of the matter is, what are you guys seeing with early data? What's the American public thinking about? Well, number one, Donald Trump back in the race and, and the likelihood that he could be the nominee and, and some of the challengers, even the ones that aren't in yet, but we know we're going to get in the race a little bit later. Like, let's just say Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, kind of what are the numbers looking like for you guys? Uh, I think that this is far and away Trump's candidacy to lose. Uh, he, a lot of it depends on how you ask the question. But the one that is gives us the most signal is where we've been asking people directly to pick between Trump and DeSantis. And of course, when you look at all likely voters, which doesn't matter, people prefer Ron DeSantis more. He has a higher favorability among all Americans, but that's because he hasn't attracted the same kind of media baggage that Trump has. But sure. upon, among Republicans... Uh, it's very clearly they want Trump. Uh, when we asked just Trump and DeSantis, Trump won 45 to 32 among Republicans and 14 percent said some other candidate, 9 percent not sure. Uh, but then when we layered Nikki Haley in there, uh, it was an interesting change. And of course, some of this is week over week um, you know, noise, but it, Donald Trump takes 52 percent of Republicans. DeSantis takes 24, you know, down from the 30s. And Nikki Haley takes 15. And so she's not taking away Trump's vote. She's taking away DeSantis and other candidate votes. If if you really, you know, I haven't, we, it's really early. I haven't asked this question too many times. But a year ago, we tested the entire Republican clown car. And Trump soundly beats DeSantis. DeSantis took only 20% of the Republican vote. And everybody else was less than, you know, it's middle single digits, right? Yeah. Um, Nobody came close. So I don't think – I don't see really more than 20, 25 percent of Republicans honestly wanting somebody other than Trump or DeSantis. And if you add anybody in, they're just going to take DeSantis's vote. So Trump it is, and Republicans – He's still got a high favorability number. Both of them are have very similar favorability numbers, high 70s among Republicans. And it's among independents and Democrats where Trump suffers from the super negative favorability. But that's not going to play in as much in the in the primary process. No, it certainly won't. And, and that's the next point I want to take uh, with you guys, because one of the good jobs I think you guys have do, been doing over the course of the last several years, uh, definitely since the end of the, the first Trump presidency, is uh, report the numbers on, on the, the way the American public feels about the direction of the nation and, and which way it's going right now. I mean, According to the Biden administration, you know, they, they, you see them go out for, for their events and, and they'll, they'll lay out of the talking points. The Biden economy is working. Americans are bringing home more money. Like everything that's going on in regards to like the cost of everything is transitory. And, you know, 
winning the war in Ukraine is the only thing that everybody should be focused on. But that's not when you actually get into the numbers and poll the American public, that's not the way they feel when they wake up in the morning and walk outside of their house. The, the direction of the nation, they think, is definitely the opposite of what the Biden administration's kind of putting out there. What, what are some of the uh, data you're seeing from that? Uh, I think one thing people have to understand about polling is that it has a fancy name. They call it the Overton window, but yeah. it's the whole concept of the pot of boiling water in a frog is that people adjust to negative stressors. And that's something that I saw really clearly from 2021 and 2022. And Biden, he came into office with the lowest approval rating of any president we ever polled. It was in the single-digit 50s. Uh, and he kind of kicked around for the first spring, but once Afghanistan hit, sure. he was down into the 30s, right? And that was a huge catastrophe that was never really fully understood or, or whatever. But then uh, you know, things started happening. The the lockdown restrictions came back and inflation shot through the roof and, and all these other things that, that people were really upset about. And his approval rating was really low. Um, but, you know, they've adjusted. People have come to terms with that. There was a wake-up call around the, the Hobbs decision and Democrats circled the wagons and got on board. And he's in the mid-40s right now, right. which is um, pretty about, uh, much in the middle of his range. And for right direction, wrong direction, uh, I forget what our most recent numbers was. It was in the mid to low 30s. And I, if you averaged his term, that's probably where it would have been most of his term. But for 2022, there were points where it was the worst right direction reading reading of any time in our polling history. Uh, I mean, it was uh, it was horrible, but it, it's bounced back. And so that's, that's part of the challenge is that there is no current absolute catastrophe right now front and center on people's minds. And so mostly the Democrats and some independents look around and say, oh, maybe Joe Biden isn't as bad as we thought recently. And they start thinking that the country's going in the right direction and his approval number floats back up. So it really takes those, you know, negative exogenous shocks. Sure to get the Democrats to jump ship. He's got a 75% Democrat approval rating. It was down in the mid-60s last summer. So they've come back. Yeah, and you want to know what? One of the biggest takeaways for me as someone who's not a pollster, uh, looks at a lot of the data but doesn't know probably how to uh, analyze it as great as you guys, it definitely hasn't been doing it as long as you guys is, Whatever numbers are getting put out or, or the ways that I feel like, honestly, the, the American public is feeling, which I think is reflected in a lot of the polling you guys do, I do, I do feel like it's, it's an overwhelming majority of it is accurate. It doesn't necessarily transpire over to the ballot box. And we saw a lot of that in the 2022 huh. midterm elections yeah. where, you know, you had even places like CBS, CNN, MSNBC uh, on a daily basis saying, you know, 70 plus percent of the country thinks it's going in the negative direction and then there's no red wave. There's a multiple... Uh, Different ways you could look at it in regards to why that didn't happen, whether it be candidate quality, campaign, money, you name it. But the fact of the matter is, is like, just like you said, we could see numbers that show Joe Biden is the worst favored president in the history of all time. 90% of the country could think it's going in the wrong direction. And Democrats could still walk away with maybe, you know, retaining the White House in 2024. And that's a harsh reality that people need to understand. The data doesn't always reflect the votes because... Just when you look at Joe Biden's approval numbers, a lot of people want to know how it stays, you know, around 40 to 45 percent on, on an average basis. And, and the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't know the Democrat voter base. That's like 40 percent of the total electorate that who has yeah. the 
vote blue no matter who mentality. So that it doesn't matter how bad the candidate is or what's on fire across the world. They're going to the ballot box straight D no matter what. So it's it's the walkaway Dems and the independents, the ones that the, you know, at least the Republicans and the Democrats are constantly courting. But how can you allude to that one a little bit? Well, that's a lot to talk about. But I w- a couple of points. 47% of Democrats strongly approve of Joe Biden right now. And Trump had his strong base, too. Yep. And on one thing, looking back at Trump's approval numbers, Trump always had more strong approvers uh, than Biden has had so far. Uh, those people just wouldn't abandon Trump. And I think one of the frames of reference is to look at is how are people consuming their news? Sure. And although many of us are much more aware, as we were previously, about what's going on in mainstream corporate media, a lot of people are still getting their news from those sources, and that hasn't changed. Um, now, as far as elections, um, this is the existential challenge that pollsters are dealing with all the time. And part of it is the model, right? Are we at part of it is asking the right people? Are we getting a good representative sample? Are we targeting them correctly? Or but then the other half of it is okay, well, now we have to weight the population to what we think the electorate's going to be. It's not just picking census numbers, who's going to turn out? And so that is is really where most of the battle is. And when I we saw the signal of Republicans losing support in the fall of 21, Republicans had the biggest lead on the generic ballot that we've ever seen in our polling history, 13 points. And we polled a generic ballot, you know, every month and then starting every week coming up in the summer. And that that lead just vaporized, disappeared bit by bit. It went down to 10, it went down to eight, sat there for a while. And two or three weeks before the election, it's it's 1%. And so now I could play around with the weightings if I put my thumb on the scale like a lot of other pollsters do sure. and make that match the number that I thought it should be. And we didn't. And there's also just noise in polling, right? It, it could be 1% one week, 4% the next week, 7% the week after. And it was doing that oscillating. I think probably the most accurate way to do it is just average everything for the last six weeks before the election. Uh, Our final call, I think, was 5% Republicans. I think the final House popular vote last number I saw was 3% from the Cook Political Report. So we weren't that off. And I didn't try and make my poll numbers match the other sentiments I saw. But there were other sentiments that made it very clear to me that the Republicans had an opportunity to outperform. And these were question sets that we had benchmarks of, of 2018. Things like which party would you prefer be in office and how likely is it that you're going to go out to vote? And Republicans were outperforming Democrats in all of those things. And then we have what we have. And so I think a lot of it, listen, I think polling 20 years ago was a lot easier. Everybody had a landline. There wasn't (laughs) a lot of spam calls. People would just pick up the the phone and talk to folks. And it's a lot different now. Um, And so there's a lot of other levers to play with. That, that make it complicated. But I think part of that assumes that there's going to be some parity between the political machines. And I think there's a, a little bit of an asymmetry right now, right? I think one side is playing the game a lot better than the other, and it's hard to predict that. And, and Republicans know this, too. They are not happy with their leaders right now. Uh, it was a real gut punch for Republicans in November, and I, you know, three to one, people wanted somebody in a in McConnell's spot different than him, and even Kevin McCarthy, who many Republicans don't even know who he is, only forty eight percent of him that 
of Republicans wanted him as Speaker of the House. So, yeah. uh, and then especially, uh, we we asked people who they wanted in the RNC seat, and Ronald McDaniel came came in third, uh, behind Harmy Dillon and Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell was a favorite, and of course, we were the only people that polled on him. So it's a challenge. Uh, their Republicans wanted new leaders. They didn't get them. Um, I think Trump's starting to realize that there's another game involved. Uh, but it was all quiet on the Western Front for the last two two years. You know, it's a lot of upset. You've, if you followed our Twitter feed and your listeners can, we're one of the ones that is actively covering. Uh, election fraud. And I don't mean grabbing it at tinfoil conspiracies. There's a lot of primary source documentation that's come out of investigations and audits. And so we follow those things because we need to know it to be able to do, do our job well. The fact is that there were irregularities in 2020 and they haven't been addressed regardless of which efforts and, and how they're trying to do it. Oh, those are some excellent points you make, and you don't even have to go outside of the scope of like people feeding ballots multiple times into a machine to talk about election fraud. When you talk about things like, you know, how the uh, federal government collaborated with big tech, when you talk about the Time Magazine article that came out shortly after the 2022 presidential election, when you talk about the free-for-all mail-in balloting that happened under the guise of COVID, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story as well, those are all yeah, components that go, into, yeah, that go into affecting the overall numbers that, that, that do transpire at the ballot box. And definitely did in um, you know 2020 with Joe Biden getting more votes than anyone in the history of the galaxy, uh, which still kind of keeps me up at night a little bit. But uh, <laughs> one thing that definitely won't was how you've educated a little bit uh, on the show today, Mark. And the fact of the matter is, I think after hearing you out, our listenership is definitely going to agree they want to see you back at some point in the future. So we'll reach out again for for later in March see if you want to come back and share some of your newest polling. But for everyone that's not already following Rasmussen Reports, I'm going to link the YouTube channel. I'll link the website as well. But where can we find you guys on social media? Uh, we're all over Twitter. Uh, we love Twitter, especially new Twitter. Sure. Um, and I think what everybody should know about us is I'm not I, I'm not an analyst. I'm a pollster, right? I, I like to ask people questions and report on the numbers and let people make their own decisions. So everything I've talked about here is stuff that I, I can support. Uh, you know, American voters think that there was fraud in the 2020 election. We've asked that question five, six, seven times. And it's been a majority every single time we've asked as much as 58%. Uh, same thing with Hunter Biden and, and and Joe Biden. People think that he's profiting from companies in China. Yeah. So uh, if it, it, we have, we poll every day, we put stories out. Uh, I try and get a YouTube video out every day. People should probably check out our recent polling uh, about the Scott Adams stuff because it is fascinating there's this whole thing about what he said, but the underlying story is that Americans, by and large, agree with something that organizations like the Anti-Defamation League label racist hate speech. Gotta love it, and uh, gotta love where this administration is going. Remember, they said they mo they are the most diverse and inclusive administration in the history of administrations just yesterday at a, a black history month event that was joe biden whispering into the mic but someone who was screaming at the top of his lungs today about the amazing work they're doing over at rasmussen reports is mark mitchell thanks for joining us today on steak for breakfast good talking to you much support to ukraine what would your message be on the anniversary to those americans thank you I would like to thank the American people. I would like to thank 
all of the American people that are supporting Ukraine, the Congress, the President, the TV uh, channels, the journalists, and everyone that has been supporting us. And that uh, percentage of uh, Americans, as uh, you've mentioned, is increasing. Uh, I can tell them only one thing. If they do not change their opinion, if they do not understand us, if they do not support Ukraine, they will uh, lose NATO, they will lose uh, the cloud of the United States, they will lose the leadership position that they are joining in the world, uh, that they are joined for a very fair reason, and they will lose the support of the country with 40 millions of population, with millions of children. Are American children any different? than ours? Don't Americans enjoy the, the same things uh, as we do? I don't think we're that different. Oh, jeez. Baby. <clears throat> that is uh, Ukrainian dictator Vladimir Zelensky. He kind of faded wow. in, in and out of the cookie monster voice. Like He started off normal and then went full cookie at the end. And for all of our regular listeners, Noah's back. Hi. As, as promised, Alan Jacoby, the host of The Great Divide and CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company, is uh, still with us. Remember, if you want to uh, enjoy steak for breakfast the correct way, heading over to the Patriot Cigar Company is probably one of the best ways you could do it. You enter promo code STEAK, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Drop 100 bucks. it's free shipping. Every order comes with a $10 e-gift card. So support Alan, who always supports us by coming on and providing some of his commentary and analysis on steak for breakfast here. I got to reorder inbound. Excellent. Hope you'll use the right promo code. Putin? <laughs> no. You get a big discount. There you go. Well, yeah, so Cookie Monster is mad at the American public. And oh. as you know, we cut with Mark Mitchell uh, just a few moments ago where he you know, kind of alluded to some of the newest polling that comes out that shows the American public is losing not only interest but favorability in uh, blindly supporting the war in Ukraine. Wait, no. Vladimir said that there was more people day day by day. There's more people supporting Ukraine. Mm. Not not so much. No, no, not at all. And uh, it, it it's becoming more apparent that uh, you know just just sending this into a black hole all of the hardcore monies that we're sending over there. It's just not going to cut it with the American people anymore. We're going to have to be a little bit more transparent. We're going to have to pretty much, you know, get to the receipts portions of all of this and start showing the American people what's going on in regards to where this money is going, where this military equipment is going. And uh, we're, we're going to have to see, you know, a lot more than 20% of what we're sending over there actually make it to the battlefield and funding the war and not funding the politicians who are, you know, running it through the European Union and NATO. So uh, how did you guys celebrate, Alan? What would you do to uh, mark the one-year anniversary of our newest forever war? I literally, on Amazon, I ordered a Russian flag to put out in front of my house to aggravate <laughs> my, my neighbors that have Ukrainian <laughs> flags out in front of their house. We're going to have a war on my block, and uh, it, it should be here actually today or tomorrow, and it will be flying in front of my house. And I'm not Russian. Hilarious. But, Anybody's wondering why we often ask Alan to come in and uh, jump into a guest hosting spot on the show with us. There you go. It's like real life shit posting. Yeah, it really is. And it's going to be, it's, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Am I going to get my house firebombed? Probably no. not because they're all cucks anyway. So. The, 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 the one thing you could do better is 
is you make it in an accessible location where somebody could like potentially tear it down yeah. then like uh you know string some paint grenades to it or something like that so when they run off with it but actually i have to figure that out because it is accessible oh, i have cameras all over my house too so or electrify it as it happens get some electric fence material maybe shock the piss out of them mm. our batteries and, and yeah i like it might, all right you might burn it challenge accepted I don't know if you guys saw it, Joe Biden, to mark the one-year anniversary, did a bunch of stuff. We all know he started last week with visiting Ukraine and, and committing $10 billion more. Uh, we'll get to additional billions that are going into uh, our newest forever war in just a bit. But when he returned to the states, instead of addressing anything to do with Ohio, which Joe Biden confirmed he will not be making a visit out there to follow in Donald Trump's footsteps to uh, East Palestine, he sat down for an exclusive extremely telegraphed, horribly edited one-on-one -on -one interview with ABC and wanted to talk about something. I didn't knew, really know it was a thing until I heard it. Have you guys heard about uh, aviation taboo? Taboo? Mm. I don't know what that is. Well, you're about to hear it. Let's listen. <laughs> we know the Germans are now sending tanks in after the U.S. said it would send Abrams tanks as well. But we know President Zelensky continues to say what he really needs are F-16s. Will you send F-16s? Look, we're sending him what our seasoned military thinks he needs now. He needs tanks, he needs artillery, he needs air defense, including another HIMARS. There's things he needs now that we're sending him to put him in a position to be able to make gains this spring and this summer going into the fall. You don't think he needs F-16s now? No, he doesn't need F-16s now. Is that a never? Powder? Look, first of all, the idea that we know exactly what's going to be needed a year, two, three from now, but there is no basis upon which there is a rationale, according to our military now, to provide F-16s. But you're not ruling it out. I am ruling it out for now. For now. For now. He also ruled out M1 Abrams tanks. He also ruled out Patriot right. missile batteries in the beginning as well. Spoiler alert, uh, we put out a new Substack over the weekend. It, it celebrated the one-year war-aversary of the conflict in Ukraine. Something. And uh, Poland has already committed, after meeting with uh, Zelensky and Joe Biden and delegations from the United States last week, to be sending over F-16s. They're going to train U Ukrainian fighters, uh, pilots in, in Poland, and then have them go over to uh Park them in Ukraine. I mean, at least that somewhat makes sense, given the fact that Poland's close proximity to all the shit that's happening. Us to send it would be like, what, what are you doing? I mean, us sending all this stuff in general. I mean, we're dumping just money out the window into this place. So instead of calling it aviation taboo, would you call it aviation shyness right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noah's favorite admiral... John Kirby jumped outside of the uh, White House before they took off to a uh, Joe Biden fundraiser uh, on Friday of last week to talk about this because Zelensky obviously, uh, you know, sold the reporters that in addition to the American public losing interest in this war, uh, we, we need to get re-energized in regards to feeling good about it and then send them more shit. Uh, they pressed him on the F-16s thing that was going to be a narrative that carried on throughout the weekend. Let's hear him. What, um, what President Zelensky said just moments ago in, in a speech. He said, our pilots and anti-aircraft units and other experts of our Air Force are doing a great job, but we will be able to completely protect our skies when the aviation taboo is fully lifted in relations with our partners. Your reaction to that? 
there's no aviation taboo with all due respect to President Zelensky. And look, you can't blame him for wanting more uh, and or for wanting things as fast as possible. But there's no taboo. I mean, if another nation would like to provide fighter aircraft to the uh, to the people of Ukraine, to the army of Ukraine, they're certainly free to do that. We're not arm twisting people not to do that. So I just would not agree that there's a, a taboo. What we're trying to do is make sure that we get him and his armed forces what they need again for the fighting that uh, that they can expect uh, that they're going to be in, in in weeks and months ahead. And remember, Joe Biden did say in his one-on-one interview with ABC, uh, it's it's a no now, but who knows, Jack, in uh, one or three years from now. That, that's a quote from, you know, the 46th president of the United States and, and something that we all need to take into consideration. We've documented extremely well on this show throughout our commentary and tracking how it's kind of unfolded that, you know, this, this regime has said no to everything before they eventually say yes, from money and munitions all the way down to some of the, uh, you know, heavy equipment that we've been sending over there to the greatest war in the history of wars. Mm. Mm. I heard they got a pretty good nightlife in uh, Kiev. A lot, of, yeah, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Judge Napolitano was a uh, you know, great constitutional um, judge and mind. He went on, uh, he wrote a sub stack about it, I believe, but he was talking about it on Roger Stone's show about that we have, you know, around 200 Ukrainian troops at Fort Sill in Oklahoma learning how to operate the equipment that we're sending over there. Have you heard anything about that at all? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, 100% factual. There are, I would say a lot more, I would say it's closer to 1500 Ukrainian troops uh, scattered throughout military bases in the United States who are working one-on-one with uh, their military counterparts here in the U S in addition to that, I know there's a lot of Ukrainian officials and uh, government employees who are doing partnerships in the United States with the department of Homeland security Learning about things like, you guys are going to love this one, border security. Seriously? Seriously. Okay, now tuxedos seem kind of fucked up. And and going through that training and uh, trying to figure out what exactly they need to do to keep their borders safe and strong over there in uh, eastern Ukraine. So, yeah, we uh, kind of are at a flashpoint with this right now. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of negative rhetoric coming out from the Biden regime in regards to China recently, uh, even more so than Russia. And I do believe that is because they're trying to normalize recriminalizing China again, like Donald Trump did such a elegant job of doing throughout the course of his administration, because any escalation that this war goes to from now expands outside of the Russia and Ukraine players and becomes a world war, which it would be essentially China and Russia versus the NATO unions and, and and the EU. Uh, So pretty scary of where they're going. And uh, you know, China had kind of put out like a softball peace plan over the course towards the end of last week. I looked over it a little bit and uh, you know, wasn't really too impressed of what they had going on and, it's it's very vague as well. I believe it was 12 points and, and covered some items like respecting the sovereignty of all countries. That's like the number one point of the Chinese peace plan. Uh, abandoning the Cold War mentality. We're, we're definitely in that running a proxy war with Russia right now as, as China runs a proxy war with us backing the Russians. Ceasing hostilities, obviously something pretty normal in, in any kind of wartime. Resuming peace talks was their fourth point. Probably should have been number one or at least two under ceasefires, uh, resolving the humanitarian crisis. We're taking care of that by taking tens of thousands 
of Russian and Ukrainian asylum seekers here in the United States, so covered. Mm. Um, Protecting civilians and prisoners of war. There's been reports from both sides of of war crimes and atrocities happening, you know, mass graves, mass executions, and stuff like that. There's just not enough technologically advanced material coming out of there as there was in wars past. I mean... It's really hard for me. And a lot of people say, like, oh, you got to look on Telegram. You gotta, yeah, that's fine. But Yeah, but every other war that we've ever had has been even documented Viet- just yeah. to ridiculous, the nth degree of. Every cell phone has a camera. Yep. yep. Yeah, and every, and every embedded journalist going into war zones, like, are, are they just not letting journalists do that now? Or are they just being completely like, oh, we need to look at all your film before you... Uh- well, it just seems for the journalists that are embedded, those big virtue signalers from like CBS and MSNBC, they do the reporting from places that are like there's no war going on, but of course they'll let the air raid sirens The beaches go of Kiev. Yeah, exactly. Right outside of the big massive water park that they got there that everybody's hanging out in. But getting back to this, nuclear power plants, let's keep them safe. That's that's probably very important. We don't want anything like another Chernobyl happening over there just because we're in the greatest war in the history of wars. Uh, reducing strategic risks, very vague. Facilitating grain exports, that helps out everybody. Uh, stopping unilateral sanctions. I mean, everybody involved besides the United States wants that to happen because the only people who are suffering from the unilateral sanctions that are going on with this war is the American public and our economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeping industrial and supply chain stable, fact check true, and promoting post-conflict reconstructions. There it is, and something we've talked about for at least six months on this show. As China continues to offer to fix the shit that's getting broken. They'll, on the other side, fund Russia with now probably lethal ways More shit to, to yeah, break the shit. To blow yeah. it up, so... <laughs> I saw, and it's weird, we haven't heard from him in a while, but it's the second time we're hearing from him today. Uh, Russiagate proprietor and appreciator, Jake Sullivan, was on with uh, fake news Chuck Todd on the weekend, meeting the fake press, talking about the peace plan and all things Ukraine-related. Let's hear him. Is the the, the peace plan that China put out, uh, uh, many United States uh, administration officials have, have essentially uh, dismissed it out of hand. But President Zelensky didn't. Uh, what do you make of his decision, and is that a smart move by him? Well, what President Zelensky said were there were parts of the plan he didn't like and parts of the plan that he thought could be okay. One part of the plan that I particularly liked is point one of the plan. Point one of the plan was respect the sovereignty of all nations. The plan could just stop there because Russia could end this war by respecting Ukraine's sovereignty and pulling out. But what President Zelensky also said, and this is critical, Chuck, is that he would like to speak to President Xi. Uh, China put forward this plan without having had a single conversation since the war began between President Xi and President Zelensky. Mm -hmm. The Chinese have talked to the Russians a lot, but at the most senior levels, they have not talked to the Ukrainians. And it's very difficult to advance any kind of peace initiative uh, when there's that kind of one-sided diplomacy going on. So from our perspective, the critical thing is that any peace plan offered by anybody has to involve the input of Ukraine. As President Biden has constantly said, nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. And that goes for this initiative right. as well as any other initiative under the sun. Let's- and, you know, they would they would go on later in the interview to talk about what winning looks like and how Vladimir Zelensky is, you know, kind of uh, grifting for F-16s now. And one of the biggest things that none of the people involved in this, especially all the ones backing it, the EU and NATO on the 
uh, Ukraine side and, and obviously China on the Russian side, they don't want to see these planes enter the theater because the counter to the Russian offensive that's just getting kicked off right now, the spring offensive, is Ukraine trying to retake Crimea. And if they give them the planes that they want to uh, help conduct that operation, it's going to get extremely uh, send this in a bad direction, one that we definitely don't want to see uh, happening right now. So I just wonder how long is it going to take for us to be no longer part of the proxy war and just jump on in? The water's fine. Mm, it's always fine. You know who's not really fine, uh, but is definitely pushed for what's going on in Ukraine with Russia right now for at least a better part of the last decade. One of Cash Patel's favorite government officials, Victoria Newland. She jumped on uh, a European talk show over the course of the weekend to talk about the one-year anniversary and where this war goes from here. You know, she was all but salivating over it. Let's hear her. ask you a, a personal question. You have been in the news, or at least the, the Twitter sphere, in the last 24 hours. Elon Musk, mm. the owner of Twitter, uh, tweeted yesterday in response to some discussions about you I'm quoting here, nobody is pushing this war more than Newland. And I'd like to ask your reaction. Well, I would start with uh, a basic fact here, which I'm confident is well known, which is if this war is to end, it could end tomorrow if Vladimir Putin choose, chose to end it and to withdraw his troops. Uh, so this is this is not about us. This is about How choices that Vladimir Putin has made um, to try to bite off pieces of his neighbor. And if we allow this as the United States, if we don't support the victim in this aggression, then this aggression will be replicated all over the planet <laughs> in the years to come. And, you know, uh, particularly folks with young children ought to be thinking about the future that they want to live in. If we even have a future to live in, if you don't stop this war from escalating and at some point it breaks out globally and goes nuclear, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. I mean, Alan, I see you chomping at the bit over there. You must be a big Victoria Newland appreciator. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah, huge. But actually, based off what you, you're saying, you know, about this escalation, because I so go back to mentioning Judge Napolitano about the number of, of Ukrainian sold troops that are here. Sure. He had a whole other part of it. And, you know, when I listening to it, like, you know, it's almost like, is he wearing his tinfoil hat or could this be true? And and I guess to run it past you guys, but, you know, are we more involved boots on the ground? Maybe that's not the best term. Are we more involved in country in Ukraine than they're telling us of course special because, forces have been operating in the country right. since 2014 when they did the revolution there so so literally right now and th and this is this is going to sound bizarre but i i i want to i this came out of judge napolitano's mouth i think it's in his sub stack he says unknown number of american troops that are out of uniform out of uniform on the ground in ukraine operating this targeting equipment where like you know may unmanned targeting drones or whatever it is sure at a computer console set up, say, that are sending signals to American troops in uniform, in uniform, that are uh, based in Poland, and they can push the button, pull the trigger, and take out specific targets. And we're talking about Russian targets. And he says that we have American soldiers 
shooting at Russian soldiers and Congress didn't authorize it. Mm-hmm. Biden didn't notify Congress under the War Powers Resolution of 1973. And, you know, this is the very reason why they're out of uniform so that Biden can honestly say there are no boots on the ground in Ukraine because the definition apparently of boots on the ground is armed and in uniform. And if you're wearing a uniform, you're protected under the Geneva Convention. If you're at a uniform, you're not. And you can literally be captured, say, by the Russians or whatever country they might be in, and captured and executed without trial as a spy. Doesn't that sound all bizarre? Is any of that just complete nonsense or is there some truth to that well i'm going to turn it over to our chief military strategist right now and let him answer noah well so i mean as long as you're wearing some uh some track shoes and maybe some track pants <laughs> mm-hmm. you're good to go good to go yeah so people i mean who, basically people, Zelensky's uniform yeah if you were in the military and now you're a government contractor or, or you're a civilian contractor working uh, you know through the government and you're in the ground on the ground there and anywhere in ukraine providing the training and and you know, things that they need to get that equipment we're sending over there uh, battlefield ready as, as far as competency level goes for their soldiers, then it is all but protected. We saw the same stuff happen, and it's so funny that you brought that up, Alan, with uh, someone who definitely knows their scandals about uh, government contracts in foreign war zones, and that's Hurley Clinton who got dusted <laughs> off over the weekend. As we're getting ready to wrap here, and we're going to be jumping in with uh, Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen in just a second, uh, you know, she came out to uh, talk about, you know, she's no fan of Putin because they fell flat on their face with trying to reset the relations between the U.S. and Russia during uh, her time in office as the Secretary of State. Definitely doesn't care about any of the human capital involved. We know that from the beginning. That's mm. stone-cold killer, to say the least. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she she doesn't care that Donald Trump put out a policy video last week, which, you know, named Victoria Nuland. Elon Musk went on to trumpet that, pun intended, through, through a tweet a little bit later on. Uh, and the fact that Janet Yellen was there yesterday dropping another $1.2 billion in aid for the war effort. Gotta love it. The... Uh, Treasury Secretary of the United States just does an unannounced visit over there with a little checky check. Setting up the direct deposit. When, you... when do we reach the point where we can't afford to give them? I mean, we're already there. But when do we reach the point where they actually, on paper, say, you know what, we can't give them anymore? Is that going to happen? No. No, they're going to keep printing money. Well, I think we should uh, ask the expert. <laughs> Let's hear Kill Dog. Ultimately, the people closest to Putin, those who have to deal with him, those who he's keeping at the end of 40-foot tables while he (laughs) issues bizarre orders, they're the ones who need to act. They need to act for the good of Russia. They need to stop him. Whether or not this has turned into some kind of physical or mental uh, problems that... uh, he either had or has in some way uh, come down with, we don't know, but his behavior is dangerous and it's dangerous to the future of Russia. So my hope is that the people who are watching him, those who get close enough to see in person his behavior, which is so erratic, that they can try to prevent him from doing things that will not only be tragic uh, for Ukraine, but tragic for Russia, too. This should be stopped for Russia's sake. <laughs> like, what kind of erratic That's... behavior is she talking about? That what what difference witnessed? does it make? Like, you mean like riding a bear with no shirt on? Is that erratic? 
I, I tell you what, you know, the people that, that watch these outlets and just gobble it up are, are the ones that are doing just as much damage uh, as the people who are actually proprieting this, proprieting this shit overseas. Because right now, every single moment that we don't talk about ceasefires and peace talk gets us one step closer to an inevitable all-out war between Russia and China. And well, that's not on the menu anymore. That's been taken off. That was yes. That was you know last week's special was uh, ending this as soon as possible and getting this done without any lives lost. Yeah, and I don't necessarily know if this is what Russia wants. I kind of think a little bit this might be what the CCP wants. It could be really being able to take on America at what I consider in, in my lifetime it at its absolute weakest. Yeah. And that's after going through eight years of the uh, Obama administration right now. But, uh, you know, all we could do is continue to watch it as it unfolds. We'll continue to bring you guys the receipts, provide commentary on that. Right now we're going to jump into uh, sitting down with the Montana Attorney General for the first time, someone who knows a little bit about dealing with the CCP firsthand. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, coming in here on the show right now, he's the Montana Attorney General joining us for the first time. He's got some breaking news for our listenership, stuff that's been developing over the last 24 hours out there in Montana. Austin Knudsen, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. You bet. Glad to be here. Mr. Attorney General, now you guys have been leading the charge, as a lot of governors have been trying to do, in fighting back against the CCP uh, with the TikTok app. A lot of governors have already banned it from, you know, state-run phones and things of that nature, but it seems like the great state of Montana is looking to take it to the next level. Do you want to let our listenership know what's going on with that? You bet. Well, this is a bill that came out of my office. Uh, we, we've obviously been watching the Chinese Communist Party very closely. They, they've obviously been doing a lot of stuff in the states and specifically in Montana here. Uh, and we, we wanted to send a good, strong message. So we've actually drafted what we think is a defensible and legal ban of TikTok in Montana. Uh, TikTok is a Chinese Communist Party-owned, for all intents and purposes, application. Uh, it's a popular one. You know, I think we're, we're probably going to get some litigation out of this, but I think this sends a strong message that we don't want Chinese spying in Montana. And you guys are leading the charge in that. Now, over the last 24 hours, this has been making some strides at the state legislative level right now. Where does the bill sit and what's next for it? So we had our initial committee hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, and that was actually just yesterday morning. The committee took an unusual step and they went straight into executive action and they voted the bill out. So it's coming to the full Montana Senate floor for full debate tomorrow. Uh, and so if, with, with any luck and a little bit of arm twisting, we'll get it across the Senate floor. I think we should have it all the way across and on its way to the House by Friday. Now, do you think with uh, 
the way the CCP has a lot of influence over, let's just say, lobby groups and financial backings in regards to politicians across the boards in the United States, it happens more frequently than the American public really wants to, uh, you know, allude to. The fact of the matter is, do you think that will have any repercussions in regards to pushing back on this? Or do you think when you kind of lay out the argument uh, there in, in, in the state house that this is going to be something that's well received when you just look at what the logistics of it are? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's being received very well. And, and obviously we were concerned about, uh, you know, TikTok hiring powerful lobbyists and sure. spending a bunch of money and coming into the state house. Um, ironically, they've tried, uh, but they haven't had any success in actually getting anybody hired. There've been a number of Montana lobbyists who have passed on uh, having TikTok hire them. So it's been, it's been fairly interesting. So far, the opposition has been fairly mild, uh, and, and, and the support has been pretty across the board. Uh, I think you've definitely seen China play in some of Montana's national politics with, with some of our, our, our senators before, certainly one of them who went on to be China's ambassador. But here's the state level, that, that, dog, that dog does not seem to be hunting. Well, that's great to hear, and, and it's great to see that you're leading the charge there in Montana. I, I, I wish it wasn't something that you know we're going to be talking about today. This will just be another issue that you guys are having with the CCP. Even more recently, over the past month or so, we did have the issue with the Chinese spy balloon that came into the continental United States over Montana. Pretty funny that a lot of users on TikTok were taking videos of it, so it's like the Chinese... Communist Party was literally spying on itself with the balloon overhead and TikTok users below. But Montana's response and, and, and wanting more of a federal response from the government, from the Biden administration, was one of the things that you guys were at the forefront on. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that situation and how it went down? Yeah, well, it was a it was a crazy situation. And frankly, I think I think that spy balloon probably would not have gone public had we not had a member of the Montana media was also a photographer and also an aviator. I mean, he, he was eagle-eyed and spotted this thing over the skies of Billings, Montana, grabbed his camera, grabbed his telephoto lens, and, and, and that picture that you see, that really famous picture that you see of the balloon and all of its apparatus underneath it, that was taken by, taken by that photographer in Montana. Um, and so that really kind of blew the lid on this thing. You know, he shared it, and it just went absolutely viral. And at that point, the... the cat was out of the bag but yeah look our, our response was I mean, from my perspective it was incredibly sad i mean the, the the fact that we find out that the federal government and the department of defense knew this balloon was there they knew this balloon was coming our way uh from alaska we had the chance to shoot it out over open water we didn't do it he had the chance to shoot it down over rural montana and I can tell you there was virtually zero chance of it injuring anyone or anything over rural eastern Montana. Uh, but it, it just shows you how feckless this administration is. And from an international standpoint, what message did we just send the Chinese? Yeah, go ahead and float your spy balloons across the entirety of the continental U.S. We know this thing was steerable. It was moving in, in, in directions opposite of the wind current. It flew over Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, which was one of our states, one of our nation's strategic nuclear weapons facilities. Yep. Uh, it, it was sending signal intelligence. Now we were we were assured that you know we were blocking the, the signal intelligence, but can we be assured that it wasn't beaming back to China as well? There's lots of questions here, but I mean, to me, it just shows you how inept and how compromised 
this administration is when it comes to China. And that's what's concerning to me. No, it's concerning to our listenership as well. And the fact of the matter is there's been a more than a handful of governors and, and attorney generals at the at the state level who have demanded accountability and, and demand, you know, more safety and security for the citizens of their state because Yes, all those things are extremely important and, and critical to our national defense, like flying over military bases, nuclear installations, and stuff like that. But if anything goes wrong, even if we don't shoot it down, let's just say one of these things crash and, and possibly lands in a residential area, maybe over schools, who knows? Uh, it, it, it's the slow or even non-response to these issues that, that the Biden administration is is taking in regards to slow walking their relationship and, and, and soft handling the CCP, which is, I think, most alarming to the American public. Well, and I'll take it even a step further. I mean, uh, let's, let's just call it spade a spade here. The, the, the Chinese Communist Party is our enemy. Yes. In their own military doctrine, in their public statements, in, in, in their written documents, they view the United States as a long-term strategic enemy. Well, what if there had been a small-scale EMP device on this balloon, and they had detonated that in the upper ionosphere? That would have been devastating, absolutely devastating to the entire Western U.S. But, you know, that just seems to be something no one's really talking about, and we absolutely should be. This, this could have been a weapons payload delivery system. It certainly could have, and it's one of those things moving forward that, uh, well, you saw what happened with the Hobby Lobby enthusiasts uh, just a week later when, when, when some of their balloons were up there. We took a little bit more pointed stance on it, and I think that was kind of more of a virtue single, but the fact of the matter is is that, uh, you know, when it comes to what possible delivery payload systems that these balloons and, and spy satellites could have. I don't think the Biden administration took that into account. If they did, they did an even worse uh, job of handling it than a lot of people are giving them credit for uh, in the long term. Mr. Attorney General, I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk about one of the things that you're a huge advocate for, and that's the Second Amendment. It's one of the things that uh, uh, most Montanans are, are, are proud to boast uh, is going on free and fair in, in the Big Sky State. What are some of the uh, biggest things right now you're pushing uh, from your office to make sure that the Second Amendment is, is protected in Montana, regardless of how the Biden administration wants to push back on, on their proposed gun safety laws? Yeah, you bet. Well, let me say at the outset, um, you know, I'm, I'm not just a politician who picks up a double-barreled shotgun and, and takes a picture in, in an upland field with a dog during, during campaign season. Uh, I am a true blue gun nut. I wear that on my sleeve. I'm a, I'm a shooter. I'm a hunter, I'm a reloader, I'm a bullet caster, I'm an amateur gunsmith. Um, guns are my hobby. So I take this one very, very seriously. I'm, I'm very proud to be kind of the Republican AG in the country who's, who's taken the reins on the Second Amendment. Um, so, I mean, we've got a few things going on. Obviously, the bump stock ban, that was a big one that we kind of inherited. Uh, but since then, the pistol brake ban. Yep. I mean, wherever you stand on those accessories, they are just that. They are accessories. They, they are functional pieces of plastic. And from my legal perspective, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms does not simply get to snap their fingers, write a new rule, and wholesale change law and turn millions, and I mean millions, of Americans into criminals because they happen to own a piece of plastic. And that's exactly what the ATF has done with these two rules. Uh, so we're pushing back very hard out of my office. We are leading both of those lawsuits. Uh, and the, the newest one is the pistol brace rule. We knew that rule was coming. We, you know, excuse the pun, but we, we had the, the gun loaded 
we were all set to go on that one. And sure enough, when they dropped that rule, like we knew they were going to, we got with uh, some sister states, uh, West Virginia. I want to, I want to specifically call out my colleague, Patrick Morrissey in West Virginia. His office did a, a, a large amount of lifting on that case. Uh, but we got it filed. We we're right now we're asking for a preliminary injunction to block that rule. Uh, because if we don't, that rule is going to go into effect here very soon. And like I said, it's going to have the, the functional effect of turning, you know, I think conservatively probably 10 million Americans into criminals overnight. Yeah. And there's a lot of people um, so, that don't know the law too. So, I mean, there's people that don't really follow this stuff closely and all of a sudden, Oh, now my rifle's illegal. What, what just happened? Yeah. It's very concerning. Yeah. I mean, slap, slapping up piece of plastic on, on the end of your, AR pistol does not suddenly now turn it into a short barreled rifle. And I mean, that is just utter nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just a cursory look at some of the ATF crazy rules. It's not hard to see that, but look, I think this one's probably going to go all the way. I, I think this is something that the U S Supreme court is going to have to look at. Uh, they've already taken a very dim view of the EPA and some of the actions they've taken sweeping actions by rule. Um, and I, I think they're going to do the same thing to the ATF. I think that's why you saw the ATF hurry and try to push this rule out so quickly. Yep. Uh, they want to see if they can get away with it, but, um, we're going to take this thing as far as it needs to go. And, and we're going to keep fighting this one. And, and, I, I, this, this is the kind of stuff that I live for. I mean, this, this is why I, this is why I, I ran for office and, and we're playing in the second amendment field. And you're taking your office very seriously, which is why one of the, the reasons when, uh, you know, your team reached out to us yesterday, we couldn't be more excited to have you on. It seems like a lot of the issues you're dealing with at the state level and for the residents of Montana to the, make their lives more safer and secure uh, moving forward is, is something that's uh, the broadest pieces of your agenda and, and goes into the seriousness that you just mentioned, uh, goes with the job responsibilities of your office. Last thing I wanted to cut with you on, Mr. Attorney General, was you know we, we do have some elections coming up here uh, in 2024, and we saw most recently John Tester announced that he was going to be running for re-election. Uh, there's no one really announced in the field, although both uh, House seats in Montana, that would be Ryan Zinke and uh, Rosendale, both have uh, shown interest, but but still don't, uh, you know, does that something that maybe interests you moving forward, or are you keeping an eye on it from outside looking in at the moment? You know, I, I get asked this question quite a bit. Uh, I guess my, my official answer is all things are on the table. You know, we're, we're, we're kicking tires. I think probably like Congressman Zinke's kicking tires. I think like my good friend, Congressman Rosendale's kicking tires. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see where the chips fall here. I, I got to tell you, I really like my job. Sure. I like being attorney general of Montana. I think Montanans are happy with the job I'm doing. Um, but it, it's a very rewarding job where we're able to lean in and, and be aggressive on what I think are the important issues. And I want to make sure that we can continue to do that. Uh, so whether, whether a Senate runs in the future of that, I guess I'm not quite ready to say, but uh, all options are on the table. How's that? That sounds great to us. Well, I know one thing, just from watching as much of the news as I do, Mr. Attorney General, I saw some of the stuff that was going on this weekend. I know the people of Montana, exactly what they don't want is John Tester doing campaign events with Chuck Schumer because the last thing people want is the great values of Chuck Schumer in the state of New York being being going on in the state of Montana moving forward. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. I, I really appreciate the fact that you gave us some commentary and we want to direct everyone who's not following your great work in the Big Size State to check you guys out. So we'll link your, your website today and your social medias. Where can our listenership find you? 
you know, I've got a Facebook presence. Uh, that's, that's probably our best social media presence. It's uh, Austin Knutson, the Montana Attorney General. You can also go straight to our official webpage. It's, it's dojmt.gov. And we, we keep the, the press page pretty pretty updated, press releases, uh, stuff that's going on. That's, that's a great way to keep track of us. And they'll be live linked in the show description today uh, as well. We'll be directing our listenership to check you guys out. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, Mr. Attorney General, to join us today. And anytime you want to come back on Steak for Breakfast, you're more than welcome with all the great works you're doing out here. This is the Attorney General of the great state of Montana, Mr. Austin Knudsen. Thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. You bet. Thanks for having me, Ron. And by the way, you know, I'm not, I, I, I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> I know where the power is. I know where the power You think I'm joking. I learned a long time ago about the Divine Nine. A special thanks to members of the most diverse administration in history who are here. The most diverse administration in history, right, Jim? Oh. Jim Carver. <laughs> I tell you what, man. Well, while the entire world continues to uh, simmer to a boil. We're still talking about being diverse. Yes, diversity, equity, and inclusion was on display up on Capitol Hill this week as Joe Biden marked several Black History Month events. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, inclusivity being what inclusivity is, a world war would include everyone. Yes. (laughs) No matter your pronouns. How yeah. dare you? I mean, maybe and if you identify identify as a woman that's not in the world war. At that point, our pronouns would be, we're all and dead. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's kind of just, you know, it, it's almost laughable. Actually, it is because when there are so many things going on domestically that we should be at least giving a little attention to, Joe Biden literally took to the stage yesterday at some Black History Month events and talked about, he whispered about how they were the most diverse administration in the history of the universe and uh, referred to him as a white boy, referred to himself <laughs> as a white boy, uh, where saying while saying he knew where all the black power was, which is in itself absolutely 100% full-on racist. Well, yeah. He is the biggest racist in politics. He always has been. Yeah. I mean, and and I may be a white boy. But I can acknowledge that Joe Biden has the largest amount of equity hires of any administration ever. And we are sure paying for it right now. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys saw. Uh, we're going we're gonna to play a little Capitol Hill roundup here. It's not even worth wasting all of our time on, on Joe Biden and his uh, flubs all over the place because some of our other top-tier politicians were uh, out there working hard to make your lives absolutely miserable over the course of this uh Early portion of the week as well. So we all remember what happened in Ohio and and Donald Trump's visit there last week. Uh, It it was huge for him to get the people of East Palestine, Ohio, back on the national radar and make sure that they're getting some of the help, you know, that they need to get to the bottom of this ecological disaster. I know we're seeing some things right now in places like Pennsylvania, places like Kentucky in regards to the water and things of that nature. We even seen uh, dead deer on the sides of the uh, riverbanks and everybody that's affected by the Ohio River. I thought the water was okay to drink. Absolutely fine, and so is the air. Uh, but Chuck Schumer took to the, the Senate podium yesterday, and uh, instead of talking about anything that serves the American people, you guys will never believe this one. He still continued to blame Donald Trump. Perfect. To operate a train. In one instance, 
The Trump administration repealed requirements for an electronic braking system because, according to them, the safety benefits were simply not worth the costs. Let me say that again. In 2017, the Trump administration decided to repeal requirements for brake upgrades because they didn't think the safety benefits were worth the cost. I think the people of East Palestine know exact now know that that analysis was wrong mm. and that oh, they're really? suffering the consequences of rail companies putting profits over people. Now I want to be clear, a full investigation is still needed to determine which if any safety regulations might have prevented the accident in East Palestine. But you don't need to be an expert to see that when companies prioritize profits over safety, when they loosen safety rules, lay off thousands of workers, and spend more money on stock buybacks than in preventing accidents, oh God, you're flirting with disaster. Is so typical of Donald Trump. <laughs> he does the bidding of corporate spend. Shocker? Nope. No? When's the White House going to fact check him like it did uh, Mayor Pete Buttplug? Well... It's funny that you say that, Alan, because not too long after Chuck Schumer took to the podium, I believe the Trump campaign was ready to uh, issue a statement, and they did in the form of one of those, well, everybody knows them, the, the Trump press releases from the office of the 45th president and the 2024 Trump campaign. You guys ready for this one? In case you missed it, WAPO review of every possible regulatory change made under the Trump administration found, Noah hit it with him. Did not contributed to the Ohio train disaster. Did not. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck Sumer, for wasting everybody's time and tax dollars. So, and I mean, listen, if the Washington Post is putting it out there, that's the factuality of it because they're no fans of Donald Trump to say the least. I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that he's wasting everybody's time. And instead of doing something at the Senate level to provide any kind of assistance for the people of East Palestine, Ohio. He's out there blaming Donald Trump for things that have absolutely nothing to do. We, we kind of broke it down on the show because we read the, uh, the WAPO article and, and also something that the Wall Street Journal had put out on last week's edition of the show where it talked about a lot of these deregulations. Uh, they were to streamline newer trains, not like these older ones and on the, uh, what did you call it? No, Mr. Toad's <laughs> Wild Mr. Toad tracks. Yeah. yeah these, these are for more of like the new coasters and, and, and cross-country vehicles, uh, the trains that are you know, have been built in the last 20 years and, and really don't need to have the rails wiped every single time they crossed. Uh, Mitch McConnell, not talking about our border security, but about shutting ourselves off from things like the war in Ukraine, took to the podium shortly after Chuck Schumer to virtue signal on that. Let's hear how he's working hard for the American people. America, we are the indispensable nation. Our superpower status is paramount not just for these other countries, but even more importantly, for our own interests here at home. Mm -hmm. Putting up our drawbridge and pretending that we can go it alone as Fortress America will not cut it, will not cut it in the 21st century. It would put the future of our economic security, energy security, and national security at enormous risk. The need for American leadership is... It's not paramount. Mm. 
So there you have the Senate majority and minority leader in back-to-back speaks right there talking about how Donald Trump's still at fault for everything, even though he's been out of office for two years. And because Donald Trump's ramping up the 2024 campaign and getting off to a really good start right now, uh, closing our borders, putting taxes and tariffs on places like China in regards to our economy, and having things like energy independent are the most dangerous things besides white nationalism that affect our country right now. (sighs) We needed to start tariffing everybody. Like, hey, Mexico, guess what? All this fucking drugs flowing into the country, guess what? Everything that you're trying to import or have imported to you, you're paying up the nose for it. And remember how great they're... China, Russia, all you fuckers. I'm going to always reference the cartel's economy. Listen, during the Trump administration, they were just a meager $55 million a year. Yeah, now they're $55 million a month. $13 billion a year enterprise. What does that equal a month, I wonder? Anybody got a calculator handy? <laughs> Coming up on our next edition of Steak for Breakfast. Uh, have, they, have they become a publicly traded company yet, the cartels? Oh, to- yeah, I think you can get them on the NASDAQ now. Well, they were talking about stock buybacks. Maybe they were hinting towards them. Well, I mean, when it comes down to it, the, with the, the level of money laundering that the cartels do into the United States, whether it's uh, donating to political parties or buying real estate and businesses inside the inside the United continental United States, then yeah, I mean, there's probably some cartel businesses that are on the stock exchange. And you, and you want to know what, it seems that we're kind of painting a picture here. Like Donald Trump is up against all of these entities right now. Like just bear with me. Uh, we're almost there. RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, she sat down with the uh, CNN state of the fake union mm. and fake news, Dana Bash this weekend to talk about, the field that's starting to widen on the Republican Party, obviously, we have, I think, four or five candidates overall announced. And uh, one of the big concerns they had going into the 2016 presidential election was if Donald Trump isn't the nominee, would he back whoever beats him uh, and, and things of that nature? That's when he really started moving up the podiums to where we had it culminating with him shitting on Rand Paul, like basically waving him off the stage because Rand Paul bowed out a week later. But... Uh, they're already trying to ramp up that narrative, much like we see a lot of the online influencers who are already trying to scare people with, oh, if Donald Trump doesn't win the nomination, he's going to start a third party and kill it for Republicans. Donald Trump <laughs> has never singled, especially lately, that he would, number one, do that. Number two, has any interest in doing that. Number three, knows that that doesn't serve anybody except the Democrats. So that's just a completely manufactured bullshit talking point. But let's hear the RNC chairwoman talk about uh, the possibility of everybody backing each other up. That note. Uh, as I mentioned, your party announced that the first Republican debate will be in August in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Will candidates be required to sign a pledge saying that they will support whomever becomes the nominee in order to get on that debate stage? We haven't put the criteria out, but I expect a pledge will be part of it. It was part of 2016. Mm. I think it's kind of a no-brainer, right? If you're going to be on the Republican National Committee debate stage, asking voters to support you, you should say, I'm going to support the voters and who they choose as the nominee. As RNC chair, if I said I wouldn't support the Republican nominee, I would be removed from office. I would. I'd be rightly removed. It'd be part of our bylaws, and I would be kicked out as RNC chair. Anybody getting on the Republican National Committee debate stage should be able to say, I will support the will of the voters and the eventual nominee of our party. I want you to listen to what former President Donald Trump said a couple of weeks ago in an interview with Uh, conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt on this very topic. If you're not the nominee, will you support whoever the GOP nominee is? 
It would depend. I would I would give you the same answer I gave in 2016 during the debate. Uh, it would have to depend on who the nominee was. So are you prepared to block the former president? Well, he, he signed it in 2016. He exactly. did. Everybody signed it in 2016. But this is about the here and the now. Yeah, he didn't I, commit I to it. I think they're all going to sign it. I really do. I think the voters are very intent on winning. And they do not want to see a debate stage of people saying, I'm not going to support this guy. I'm not going to support this guy. What they need to say is, I'm going to do everything I can to defeat Joe Biden. And that means supporting the nominee of the Republican Party. You can't see a scenario where Donald Trump would just skip the debate if he's forced to sign something. Saying I, I support think others. I don't want to be on the debate stage. I think President Trump would like to be on the debate stage. That's what he likes to do. And I expect they'll all be there. That's uh, pretty interesting that she actually referred to him as Donald Trump. She probably got slapped by her handlers when she yeah. went backstage. So she could have at least threw a former or just called him Donald Trump as she usually does. Well, he signed it. He signed it the last time for 2000, 2016. Yep. And when he's talking about supporting, I mean, is that talking about I'm signing this thing, I'm agreeing, or would I actually like wholeheartedly like go out and fucking rum up the pom-poms for for the guy. Right. It, well, what are they talking about? It has nothing to do with running a third party or, no. or, or as a third party independent candidate on the ticket. That's number one. And, and number two, Donald Trump, one thing he doesn't like to do, and he's talked about it in everything from his foreign and domestic policy to how he handled the pandemic and everything in between, he doesn't like to telegraph what he does. He doesn't like mm -hmm. to say, sure, I'll do that, because then if popular opinion or the narrative that he gives when he makes a statement like I'll 100% sign this thing or I'll 100% back whoever the nominee is, guess what? As, as soon as something bad happens, like a scandal erupts or, or, or anything, you know, however, the next, you know, state attorney general or, or some shithead district attorney tries to drag him into court for some bullshit that he's not going to be convicted of in, in any way, shape or form. Then all they start doing is demonizing his comments like they've already started to do based off of that interview we did with Hugh Hewitt, which, uh, you know, didn't really say anything except it was classic Donald Trump. He's just not going to telegraph his moves and he's not going to put his opinion out there. He's not going to make uh, statements that are going to lock him into something uh, and have the press go negative er on him if anything changes in between. And, uh, you know, it, it really... Uh, goes back to what this whole campaign moving forward and what's going on in Washington, D.C., outside of, like, the narrative of Ukraine because everything else is diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm -hmm. It's how all the top politicians, all the never-Trumpers, are, are going to kind of try to spin this in a way. Here's the deal, Jack. Mm. Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell don't have any influence over any people that are going to vote for Donald. Anything that they say, no matter how they try to demonize him, it's not going to affect Donald Trump's voters moving forward. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think the one big thing that a lot of people are missing, and I did see uh, Raheem Kassam from the National Pulse put out a substack about it uh, yesterday, is Rupert Murdoch's, uh, what's recently come out about him, and how he basically threw all of the... Donald Trump loyalists who worked for Fox News around the 2020 uh, presidential election under the bus to kind of save face and say, like, saying the election was rigged and stolen was stupid. So were these people, and I never believed it. And as Rupert Murdoch kind of caters to the neocon establishment, military-industrial complex, uh, Ron DeSantis crowd right now, it's not going to be Donald Trump against Joe Biden. I mean, that's a slam dunk right there. You have a complete, feckless, empty suit, retard yeah uh who who's got guided around by handlers he's just an absolute disaster who's going to get his base to vote for him period and, and then you have all of these people in washington dc who have no say in in what the outcome of this election will be the chuck schumers the mitch mcconnell's people like hillary clinton they don't really matter 
but how people were receiving their information, like through Rupert Murdoch's multi-billion dollar media market, is really going to be who Donald Trump is, is up against when he becomes the Republican nominee in 2024. That's the way I feel about it. Uh, Noah just raised his eyebrows. It might be because I stuttered a little bit. It, it might be because he agrees with me. And uh, Alan's nodding. So, I mean, when, when you look at it, there is a pretty large apparatus no. <laughs> set up to push back against Donald Trump. And, you know, as we alluded to with uh, – Mark Mitchell from Rasmussen polling uh, a little bit earlier in our show today, it seems like Donald Trump to this point is being able to beat that. And in our last audio clip of the day, you'll never guess another person that's leading the delegation against Donald Trump in the 2024 presidential election, Jeb Bush and Ron DeSantis and Joyner. Former disgraced speaker Paul Ryan sat down for an interview this weekend in Milwaukee where the RNC convention is talking about boycotts. You'll never guess what he said when Donald Trump's name came up. Let's hear it. Come 2024, the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee, where will you be? It, uh, it depends on who the nominee is. I'll be here if it's somebody not named Trump. You won't show up if it's not if Yeah, it's I'm Trump. not interested in participating in that, no. Even in Wisconsin? Even Wisconsin. Right when he said that, I just, I imagined in my head that meme of the little kid where, like, he says something stupid and he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> with his buck teeth out and he's like squinting Take my ball and I'm going home yeah. <laughs> even in Wisconsin in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin oh irrelevant so, oh, oh, oh. there you go party unity is at all time highs right now so as, as we're getting ready to move through the rest of the week who knows what's going to happen but we covered a lot today it was a busy news weekend we sat down with a couple great guests we're actually about to sit down with another one now switch gears to take you out of the show but uh, definitely something that our listenership needs to hear about as we're getting ready to sit down with the the uh, raw egg nationalist as advertised ren thanks for joining us on the show today uh it's my pleasure as always welcome back uh i'm sure our listenership will be very pleased to hear the velvety voices of the raw egg nationalist as uh me and noah <laughs> were teasing it before we recorded right now listen you've been doing a lot of work in addition to all the stuff that you're already known for you know you have the amazing book that's out uh the eggs benedict option you obviously narrated a great portion of uh one or tucker carlson's most recent documentary series and uh you know man's world can't say enough about it mm -hmm. but uh, i've been seeing some pieces that you've been putting out through uh well, one of our great friends that were at the National Pulse, the larger steak for breakfast apparatus. Uh, Stop and, it. and it was, uh, we could eat malignant chicken tumors by the bucket load. And uh, how lab-grown meat's impending cancer problem is becoming an issue that you want to shine the light on. Do you want to let our listenership know just about a little bit of the backstory that went into this and then kind of some of the, I'm going to pun it early, meat and potatoes of this article? Uh, Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it's uh, this is a... Uh... This is a big problem for the makers of lab-grown meat. So what they don't want you to know, basically, is that lab-grown meat is made using uh, what are known as immortalized cell lines. And immortalized cell lines are basically indistinguishable from cancer. Hmm. So what they're, what they're doing, basically, is, is growing big lumps of cancer in a bioreactor. Um the first set of immortalized or the first immortalized cell line was actually taken from a woman called Henrietta Lacks uh, in 1951 at the John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. She had cancer and a sample of cells, a sample of, sample of the cancer cells were taken from her without her consent and they've been growing ever since. So 
there was a book there's a book called the immortal life of henrietta Lacks, which is precisely about the fact that she she lives on through these uh endlessly replicating cells that are used for a wide variety of different purposes including the manufacture of vaccines so the coronavirus vaccines or some of the coronavirus vaccines i think the moderna and the pfizer vaccines were made using immortalized cell lines taken from cancer tissue so the lab-grown meats um are being grown from immortalized cell lines from animals which is basically cancer from animals now what i'm not saying and um this was a subject actually of a big bloomberg um expose which kind of prompted me to write the piece what what i'm not saying and what bloomberg uh wasn't saying is that eating this stuff will give you cancer necessarily what it is is it's first of all it's a big image problem for the makers of lab-grown meat because i mean who who wants to have to tell uh the consumers of their product that actually the product is cancer um <laughs> what you know, kind of sauce that's, that's not what you want <laughs> chick-fil-a sauce <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the other uh, the other problem so we so we don't have any long-term data to tell us anything about the effects the health effects of consuming consuming cancer as a dietary staple basically mm. so we just don't we just don't know and even and even if scientists think oh this this is probably safe we we don't know for sure so that's that's a question that the lab grown that the lab grown meat uh producers just can't answer they can't say actually we know for sure that this stuff is safe so what's happening is a lot of um lab grown or some lab grown uh meat companies are trying to move away from using immortalized cell lines so the the big the big companies the so-called big three lab grown uh meat producers are still plowing on with immortalized cell lines but some smaller companies are trying a a, a, trying a different method the problem with this different method then that they're using is that it involves harvesting cells regularly from livestock because normal cells don't replicate endlessly so you have to you know if you want to make lab-grown beef using this this alternative method then you have to harvest uh, cells from cows regularly and so then this is a this is a problem for the lab grown meat makers because what they want to say is our product is cruelty free our meat doesn't involve any kind of traditional agriculture any kind of raising of animals and slaughter of animals uh but then actually it would involve the raising and slaughter of animals if they don't use immortalized cell lines so they're stuck between a cleft stick at the moment really they use they use the cancer the cancer cells or they or they adopt uh, a more traditional method, which then means that actually one of the chief selling points of their product uh, has disappeared. And now how far are we? First of all, you mentioned the big three, which was going to be my follow-up question to you. So thank you for doing that. And, and basically the blueprint for studying cancer has gone into becoming the blueprint for producing this non-meat-based meat, which is highly disturbing. Uh, just the methodology and technology behind it is switching gears now. You say a lot, some of the people, you know, might want to get away from this, even though it's a multi-billion dollar industry at the moment, and we don't have any data that will show that there are long-term health risks for how recently this has become pushed on the, you know, populace of the world and is becoming popular as a big virtue single to not eat meat and stuff like that. But 
what is the alternative to this? If they want to get away from this kind of technology, how far down the road are we from just like, you know, them saying that, you know, beyond meat or incredible meat, whatever they want to say, the next non-based, you know, meat or chicken based products are is like plastic essentially, which is, you know, something we get microplastics in a lot of things that we ingest now, but moving forward, it seemed like that would be the next step in the progression. What do you think? Well, listen, it's funny you say that because actually I did, um, I did see the other day a piece on uh, one of the science websites that I trawl for uh, new studies and, <laughs> and uh, news from the science world that um, scientists have found a way to convert um, to convert plastic into protein using enzymes and bacteria. So we, we may very well end up in a situation where actually we are consuming some form of or being forced to consume some form of uh, recycled plastic that has been turned into uh you know, an alternative protein source via via some unholy unholy microbial process that they've managed to come up with. I mean, the thing is, even if this lab-grown stuff fails, then they'll be pushing insects. That's the big thing that they'll be pushing. Yep, insects. Um, I mean, plant-based meat like Impossible and uh, Beyond Meat, and that is is an absolute is dead in the water absolutely dead in the water so i wrote another piece for the national pass a little while before this one about lab grown meat on the fact that uh beyond meat and impossible they're just dying on their on their knees they're they're cutting their their workforce by something i think both of them have cut their workforce by uh 20 20 percent i think in the last year massive massive um decline in double digit decline in sales I mean, it, it's it looks like it's over for plant-based meat. Nobody wants to eat plant-based meat unless they have to, and so that's um, that may very well be the case, though, in the future that we have to eat these products if inflation and artificial scarcity make uh, traditional animal products too expensive. Sure, and those are two great pieces that you wrote for the National Pulse. Takeaways from that: bugs now, probably plastic bugs in the future, and uh, we'll we'll just kind of leave it at that. Ren, there was one other piece I was going through all your work on the National Pulse, but I did see something else you wrote recently for the uh, American Mind, uh, which is a publication of the Claremont Institute, and it's called Trickle Down Dysfunction. Uh, and and this is this is huge right now. The the full on assault. Uh, based off diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then the race politics across the world it is pushing for the end of monogamy, the destruction of the nuclear family, et cetera. We talk about it on the show often. I would consider you a little bit more of an expert on us. Do you want to just let our listenership know a little bit about this piece? Yeah, sure. So I, I wrote this piece with my good friend, John McGlean, and um, I've written a couple of pieces with him now. Uh, and it's it's about... It's about what we can expect the end of monogamy to look like. And we're starting to get intimations already mm. with the growth of things like polyamory and uh, ethical non-monogamy, all that sort of stuff. We're starting to get an idea of, of, of what it just might be like. And it's worth saying, as I do at the beginning, or as we do at the beginning of the piece, that um, you know the, the abolition of the monogamous nuclear family is uh, has been a central pillar, really, of the progressive um, agenda certainly since the dawn of Marxism. So um, uh, Friedrich Engels wrote a book called The Origin of Family, Private Property and the State in 1884, uh, where he explicitly laid out uh, this evolutionary historical argument about the development of class society that before the dawn of class society when uh man in his sort of his natural harmonious state that was a that was a matriarchy that was a basically a non-monogamous society 
and it was only with it was only with when man had the idea that actually women are possessions to be controlled as possessions that class society arose so you've you've got this argument then that class society is fundamentally patriarchal and a central a central part of class society is enforced monogamy control of women by men in monogamous relationships um so the abolition of the monogamous family monogamous nuclear family then has been a central pillar of uh left-wing politics certainly since then this book by Engels, The Origin of the Family, was taken up actually by second wave and third wave feminists in the 60s and 70s and became a, a sort of central buttress of their attempts to uh, argue that you know nothing good can come of, of raising children in a, a stable two-parent household. But the 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 meat of the argue, the meat of the uh, article then is about what polyamory is actually what's happening with uh, polyamorous relationships so i talk about this this very famous recent uh example of uh that was that was sort of uh, highly publicized in the in the media of a family a woman who was pregnant tori uh, toria jada i think her name was this was 2020 and she had four four boyfriends the mm. the child was going to have four fathers and they're all of these puff pieces in the mail online and all sorts of other all sorts of other publications about how this was, you know, this was the future of of the family, and isn't it all nice, you know, wonderful that a child could have four fathers instead of one? And um, a few weeks later, or a few months later, the the with depressing inevitability, then comes the story that one of the fathers had not the biological father, as far as we're aware, had really violently almost killed the child yep. while it was in his care he's in prison now which is uh, where he deserves to be but the and the child has recovered but the the terrible thing is that it's been sent back to a family where still at least two of the men in the in the family aren't her father so um that's just a flavor really of the of some of the dysfunction that, that we'll see uh I think as a result of the breakdown of, of, of monogamy, because of course it's true that the monogamous uh, family is a, is a biological unit and biology is a very, very powerful force in, in human, in human behavior in human society. And it affords certain protections. Those, those biological links afford certain protections that aren't afforded in, um, in uh, other forms of, uh, of of marriage and and family and and this is widely widely attested in the anthropological record you know something like 85% of all human societies have practiced some form of polygamy rather sure. than monogamy and you know time and time again you see that actually in those societies not only are women treated worse when they are only one when they're one of multiple wives but also children are treated worse too so we've got we we we've got all sorts of of very very compelling empirical data about the kind of benefits that monogamy brings to a society and brings to families uh, the stability um and and we're and it is a central institution of our civilization and we are we've been undermining it as i say since at least the the mid-19th century and um nothing good's going to come of it no it certainly won't and i mean the normalization of things like degeneracy and getting away from from 
normalize things like uh, monogamy. I mean, there's that meme that's been going around recently. It's like you take uh, 10 men and 10 women, you put them on a deserted island, and in 100 years you'll have, like, a flourishing culture, a big society of, of, you know, thousands of people, right? And then if you put 10 men and 10 transgender women on the same island and conduct the same experiment, you'll have a graveyard in a hundred years of, of 20 men who died. So that's, that's pretty much where we're at right now. And as, as society continues to normalize this, there's going to be a breaking point in my opinion, where, you know, okay. Population control is one thing, but we are literally like anything has to do with evolution. Anything that has to do with moving forward uh, on this planet as a whole, the human race at some point will, will start to receive a, a downward trend that we might not be able to get back from. So it, it's one of the things that I think is uh, extremely important to be aware of. It's, it's one of the things that we provide on this show and have done uh, from its inception. And it's one of the things that I'm glad you're bringing a lot of awareness to Ren. Listen, we're going to live link the book as always in the show description today. As you continue to put out more pieces, we would only hope that you'd continue to be a regular contributor on our show because we really appreciate all the work you're doing. This is a lot of research, a lot of breaking it down in the commentary. The factual data that you provide is is, is probably uh, in and of itself only where you're getting it from. And when you collaborate with other writers, like you said, you, you get an even better piece. And we're going to live link both of these articles as well. But for everyone that's not tracking you, God forbid, they should be already. Where can they find you on social media? So on Twitter, I am uh, BabyGravy9. <laughs> uh, we just like to hear I've, you say um, it. <laughs> I've got um, a personal website, which is RawEggNationalist.com. And uh, my magazine has a website, Man's World. That's Man's World Mag. Dot org. So one of those three places, there'll be links to, to everything I do, to all of my books and articles and everything else. We'll live link both of those in the show description too. And we wish you the best, my friend, as you continue to do great work. We'll be looking forward to having you back on the show soon. This is the Raw Egg Nationalist. Friend, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Great way to start the week by ending the show with the Raw Egg Nationalist. What do you think, Noah? I want to hang out with him. Yeah, I kind of do too. <laughs> Ren's awesome, and uh, he gets to bring those social issues we don't get to talk about enough on the show because of how absolutely batshit politics are right now. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and you want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the show, very important that you follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podata, Google Podcasts. We're even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it leave a review and don't forget to download listen like follow and share steak for breakfast content show creds go to all of our amazing guests today we've already mentioned them but we're going to do it again the raw egg nationalist ren thanks for joining us on the show in addition to him we sat down with mark mitchell big time interview right there from rasmussen polling and some breaking news from the attorney general of the great state of montana austin knudsen thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule to come help make steaks great again Speaking of which, don't forget to go throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners because when you do that, you're helping make small American businesses great again as well, namely MyPillow. You buy one, you get one free at MyPillow.com when you enter promo code STEAK. Big time savings right there from Mike Lindell. You want the MyPillow 2.0. If you want the coffee, you enter promo code STEAK there. You're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio recording, doing a little music, 
especially your podcasters out there. Make the investment, get those ear needs taken care of, and done up right. Odyssey.com is a website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Man rubbing some chicken tonight. Nice. Because it is a Tuesday. Uh, enter promo code STAKE here. You're getting 15% off your order. Check them out on manrubs.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan, the Patriot Cigar Company. You enter promo code STAKE here. You're getting 15% off your total order. All orders over 100 bucks. Free shipping. A $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Can't forget to mention our newest partner as well, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. This stuff is the premium beef jerky that you definitely want to get your mouth around. You enter promo code STAKE here, you're getting $5 off your order. If you make it a 12-pack, free shipping. Check them out at FarmerBill'sProvisions.com. Upcoming shows will be back on Friday. So far, I've got U.S. House Representative out of Arizona, Eli Crane, great friend of the show, coming in to join us. I'm pretty sure we'll get a couple other guests in here as well. On the 10th of March, Jake Denton and Jim Nels will be circling back. On the 14th, Christina Bob will be in to do the news. Liz Harrington will be in to give us an update on the Trump 2024 campaign, and we'll be sitting down for one of our great discussions with none other than Newsweek opinion writer Josh Hammer. Devin Nunes rescheduled to the 17th, but that's completely fine with me because we love talking to him. Cash Patel and Ambassador Jeffrey Ross Gunter will be here on the 21st of March. Jim Nels is circling back on the 24th, as is Georgia House Representative Mike Collins and one of our great friends. Can't wait to talk to him. He's been extremely busy doing work up in the House of Representatives. Max Miller will be here on the 28th. Guys, we've got a bunch of other moving parts for guests. As you always know here on Steak for Breakfast, we'll be filling up some of those other spots here very quickly. Friends of the week, got my list right in front of me. Can't forget our True Social Twitch streamer crew, CSM Master, Beastie Man 420, and Siberian Kitten. They love their Minecraft. They also love sharing Steak for Breakfast content, as does Some Call Me Tim 79. Saw him sharing our Substacks last night. In addition to them, some of our internet friends, Spoopy, NN, Amazing Amy, Squibbly Wibbly, Barry Rozzi, and Matthew Jaramillo, all sharing Steak for Breakfast content big time this week. Guys, can't forget the meme team. There were so many shares and some great work coming in. The one-year anniversary of Ukraine did it for me. Dumbass Photoshop. Let's go, Brenda. The silent meme majority. Grand old memes. Thanks for getting me uh, fact-checked on Instagram. <laughs> John Hacker LA. What I mean to say. Lauren Eve puts out some of the most amazing Instagram videos you will ever see that are more America first than you can even imagine. Her handle is at Lauren Eve, but the first E in Eve is a three. Go to make sure give her a follow. Johnny Maga. Who white memes? Edward Russell. And, of course, the right-wing savages. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. I suggest everybody go do a little research on Victoria Newland and uh, her involvement with keeping this Ukraine conflict at the forefront of the American taxpayer. Number two, start a podcast. Not too bad. For a half day. Right. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Attorney General Austin Knudsen. Out in Montana, some of the stuff he's doing in combating the CCP and preserving gun rights for uh, God-fearing Americans, that's American greatness. We don't talk about it enough. We need to start talking about it again. Mm-hmm. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 217 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back with 218 on Friday. So far, U.S. House Representative Congressman Eli Crane is scheduled. On behalf of the pod team, Alan, who joined us as a guest host today, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. Joshua,
answer the phone. Touching on deck. At ease, man. Be seated. Uh, many of you are wondering what's wrong with my pants. Well, they started running short of material right before they got to the knees, so they don't give me any shit. Now, I look out there at all of you wonderful guys, and I say to myself, what I wouldn't give to be 20 years younger and a woman. You know, I've personally flown over 194 missions, and I was shot down every one. <laughs> Come to think of it, I've never landed a plane in my life. Now, you men will be piloting the backbone of our proud American arsenal. The Oscar EW-5894 Phallus Tactical Fighter Bomber. Its lightweight swept wing design makes it extremely maneuverable and agile. Beneath its skin of 21st century composites is a highly advanced avionics and weapons package. Designed for speed and combat acrobatics, it features the latest Mrs. Halbers series 3800 radar jamming for Amos.